Hello! Welcome to the Horror Comics Podcast, episode... Oh, God, what are we on right now? What, 14? Holy God, I cannot keep track of this shit. Yes, it's episode 14. Um, thank you all for listening. Thank, welcome back. Uh, today we are covering... Uh, we're, we're taking a break from Terrorology. We're going to get back to that. Um, I figured it it might be a little too much to just, and I talked about it in the last episode, but in case you're just jumping on now, thank you for checking us out. Um, but I figured it might be a little bit too much to have like, you know, 14 episodes in a row <laughs> of Terrorology because I really thought it was going to be, uh, and I should have known better, but whatever, that's on me. Uh, I, I really thought it might be a little bit more... I don't know, compacted into each episode. But, I mean, they, they provide a lot of information there, and that's awesome. So that's on uh, New, England's, New England Comics Press um, for uh, doing such a great job at, you know, being very detailed there in that book. I highly recommend going to find those issues. Um, I should have researched if they collect and sell those as a collected thing or as a separate or whatnot. But either way, uh, if you're into horror comics history... Go check out those books, and then um, it's and it's they're featured in Tales Too Terrible to Tell, and it's uh, about eleven, I think twelve, maybe. Now I can't remember off the top of my head how many issues they are, but it's a they show they have like stories from old school pre code horror comics, and then they have a history you know section within that book. That's what I'm talking about. Uh, so go check that out and then go back and listen to the episodes. I'm, like I said, I'm going to get back to those. But I wanted to jump in with um, more of, you know, just talking about uh, a full-on magazine, a horror comic, horror magazine, as if you will. And today I will be talking about Eerie Publications, Terror Tales, and this um, will be the July... 1976 issue uh, because that's the first one that I owned. It's actually considered volume 7 number 3. How they decided their volumes we'll get to that but we've got some really uh, it's not my news but I'm sharing the news. It's an EC Comics news story that I am very excited about it and if you don't follow EC Comics on Instagram I highly highly recommend uh, it just I know Instagram sucks. It really does. They it's it's owned by Facebook, so the algorithm is all fucked up. You're, you're never gonna see anything in any kind of chronological chronological order. It's just thrown out there. But um, I did want to play something. It's a trailer for a podcast that I believe, if I understand correctly, it is a podcast recreation of stories from the vault of horror and um i if you want to see the video please by all means i suggest go see the video on ec it's at ec comics on instagram go follow them uh like everything they do and watch this trailer but i'm gonna play the audio from it because i'm so excited about this and since it is on instagram it's it's gonna be two separate videos so i'm you might hear a little bit of rollover from the other video but i'll switch over to the second half, I guess, of the trailer. Um, and uh, we'll go from there. But yes, so enjoy, because I'm so excited about this podcast. 
Hi, I'm Bill DeFries, and I am one of the directors of Pocket Universe Productions, and also the director of EC Comics's Vault of Horror. Yes, he dislikes hurting her, but humiliation is quite a motivator, isn't it? My name is Kevin Grievous. I'm the Vault Keeper for the Vault of Horror for Pocket Universe Productions. We made a conscious decision to take the 50s and 60s sensibility of the original comics and bring it into the 21st century. But we figured this made it more accessible to a modern audience and still appeal to the purists. Emeralds! Thousands upon thousands of dollars in emeralds! Our writers were Lance Roger Axt, also one of the producers of Pocket Universe Productions, and Butch D'Ambrosio, who used to work for Mad Magazine. Hope you enjoy The Vault of Horror by EC Comics, produced by Pocket Universe Productions. <laughs> I can't stand it any longer. This waiting's driving me insane. Just as the book said. I think I want to try to get that the chest sound. So let's shift it around, whereas before we had that yell. Oh, no. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, like I said, it's it's cool because you're watching the voice actors uh, behind the scenes. They're performing the parts and whatnot, and um, it just I don't know. I didn't know this was happening, and then I saw this post by them, and I was like, oh my god, yes, absolutely, make this a podcast uh, and get talented people to do it. So that's very exciting to me. I can't wait for that. That's going to be great. Um, yeah. So I'll you know maybe I'll I'll review it on this show. Uh, you know, not, I don't, not going to do like, it's five out of 10 star, you know, nothing like that, like giving it a rating, but maybe I'll just talk about it. I don't, I don't, nothing against anybody that does do the kind of, you know, uh, point system or anything like that. But I just, I don't know. I don't like thinking of things in that, in those terms, because I'm just, I'm not good with those kind of things, honestly. Uh, but, uh, yeah, so we'll see uh, how it goes. Cause I'll, I'll definitely be there to listen to it at least and commentate on it. Um, okay, so today, like I said, we're talking about uh, Terror Tales, and it is, I guess, number three from Volume 7, uh, and like I said, we'll, we'll, we'll see how that all pans out as far as what volume means what, but this is the July 1976 issue, and the cover price here is $1.25, so, you know, that's... You know that ain't that ain't that ain't just pennies, uh, you know at the time. So they were definitely uh, a little bit higher. So no, this is coming from Erie Publications, and just a little bit of history on them. Now they were obviously a publisher of black and white horror anthology comics in magazine form. Uh, they were less well known and more downscale than the field's leader, Warren Publishing, who did Creepy, Erie, Vampirella. Uh, this New York City-based company was one of several related publishing ventures run by comic book artist and 1970s magazine entrepreneur Myron Fass. Titles published under their 15 years of operation included Weird, Horror Tales, Terror Tales, Tales from the Tomb, Tales of Voodoo, and Witches' Tales. All of these magazines featured grisly, lurid, cover, uh, lurid color covers and did not feature advertisements having the final page of a story on the back cover. Now, I can tell you for this issue, it does feature advertisements. Now, I don't know if that means 
in the sense that like maybe these are fake advertisements because I'm telling you like there's <laughs> it's just uh yeah th- th- these are just not these are ads that are uh way over the top and and I'll I'll get into them uh, I'll start off with that actually but uh we'll continue here new material was mixed with reprints from 1950s pre-comics code horror comics Writer and artist credits seldom appeared, but included Marvel Comics pencil, uh, penciler and inkers Dick Ayers and Chick Stone or Cheek Stone, Chick Chick Stone, as well as Fast himself, with brother Irving Fast and Ezra Jackson serving as art directors. Yeah. Mel Lenny initially, uh, and then Golden Age of Comics comic books producer Robert W. Farrell had the title of publisher. Uh, Carl Burgos, creator of the Golden Age original Human Torch, was editor. Uh, he had created a short-lived character called Captain Marvel, no relation to either the old Fawcett comic superhero nor the Marvel Captain Marvel, uh, for Fass's MF Enterprises in 1966. Uh, Fass's business partner, Stanley Harris, left in 1976 after a falling out and formed Harris Publications, whose comic book arm published Vampirella and other former Warren Properties. <clears throat> now, the titles published again were Horror Tales, which had 27 issues between June of 1969 and February of 1979. Strange Galaxy, which had four issues between February of 1971 through August of 1971. Tales from the Crypt, which has no relation to the EC Comics book, but it had one issue in July of 1968. Tales from the Tomb, 33 issues from July of 1969 to February of 1975. Tales of Voodoo, which had 36 issues from November of 1968 through November of 1974. Terror Tales, which had 46 issues from March of 1969 to January of 1979. Terrors of Dracula, which had 9 issues from May of 1979 through September of 1981. Weird which had 69 issues from January 1966 through November of 1981. Weird Worlds, which had five issues from December of 1970 to August of 1971. Witches' Tales, which had 34 issues from July of 1969 through February of 1975. So we're obviously here talking about Terror Tales, so we'll talk a little bit about that book's history, and then we can get into the book. Now, Terror Tales was the name of two publications, uh, American publications. Uh, One was a pulp magazine of the weird menace genre of the 1930s, and one was a horror comic magazine of the 1960s and 70s. So Terror Tales was originally published by Popular Publications. The first issue was published uh, in September of 1934, one of the most successful horror magazines, it was joined shortly afterwards in 1935 with its sister horror pulp, Horror Stories, also from the same publisher. Some of the writers whose work appeared in Terror Tales included E. Hoffman Price, Wayne Rogers, Wyatt Blassingame, who later wrote nonfiction books for children, Ray Cummings, Paul Ernst, Arthur Leo Zagat, and Arthur J. Burks. Rudolph Belarski provided several covers for the magazine and Terror Tales ceased publication in March of 1941. The horror comics magazine 
A later publication, also called Terror Tales, was a black-and-white horror comics magazine published by Erie Publications. There were 46 issues from March of 1969 to January of 1979. Terror Tales followed many of the conventions of the horror comic genre, such as the use of scantily clad damsel in distress covers. Now, I, there's not a lot of information there, um, but you can find, uh, if you Google Terror Tales... 1969 you can find a list of um or it's a website rather that has all of, it looks like all of the co- covers uh in high definition and the website looks like it's monsterbrains.blogspot.com um that's the link in google it's like the fifth link you find uh, i don't know what else is on this blog so i'm not responsible for what you come across because i didn't go any further than that but it's nice to see all the covers. I'm sure you could just click images and see as well. But um, like it said before, not a lot of credit was given to the artists or the writers even. It was just kind of put out because they didn't think, you know, at the time of this being released, they were just selling books. They they didn't think anything about, you know, the fame or, or, or the name of the people involved, really. You know, the artists would sometimes secretly sign it and hide their signature here and there. Back before, it was like, no, the people want to know the artist, you know, people want to know the writer. So, um, yeah, but so that's that's kind of the the downfall. That's one of the downfalls of a lot of these kind of books um, is the ambiguity of the team. You, you can usually find the artist in some way or fashion, um, but a lot of times, if you don't know who the writer or artists are, it all just kind of falls on the, you know, the, the publisher, which... Sometimes they wrote the stuff. Uh, they generally didn't write, you know, draw it. But, uh, you know, these days, eh, that's all we can kind of lean on for credit. But uh, anyway, here's hoping to we'll, we'll find out all the information we need to know about who created these wonderful stories and whatnot. Uh, and, you know, maybe we'll get that. So anyway, we're going to go on to Terror Tales. Um, I guess we're going to say we're going to call this number three. Volume 7, again, don't know how they separated the volumes, but we have an amazing cover here, Um, and we have uh, what looks like a zombie who's about to rip a vampire apart, who's got a stake through his chest, there's another mummy, like, way in the back, and a full moon, and a vampire bat biting into the mummy that's about to destroy the vampire, anyway... But our titles are Bloodbath, A Horrifying Tale of an LSD Trip, Voodoo Terror, Skin Rippers, Two Lovers Pay a Terrible Price, The Hungry Slime, Horror from the Past, A Head Full of Snakes, Death Lurks in the Twisted Regions of Darkness, The Strange Vampire, A History of Horror. Okay, well, I'll take that, a little history. So we cracked this sucker open, and this is what I was talking about. It said there's no ads. Well there's some ads right here and again I, I mean there's an address to mail this to so I don't know uh, that's very telling so here we go what are we What are we advertising here in these magazines uh, first of all okay we start off we've got a, a calendar bank forces you to save it's only three ninety five. it's coin operated we still have those you know you uh you pop your coin in, and it keeps count of it for you. But this has the day and, uh, you know, the date on like a little counter. So uh, 
that's innocent enough, right? That's that's good, good motive. Um, okay. Um, next ad is got a pistol, a real photo of a pistol on it, and it's uh, Colt 45, 22 caliber pellet firing Stinger automatic, 50 to 22 caliber pellets free, only a dollar sixty nine. Uh, looks and feels like a real Colt 45 automatic fully six inches long, four inches high. Um, they supply free supply of targets, a bunch 50 reusable 22 caliber pellets, uh, money back if not satisfied. Uh, so yeah, dollar 69 plus 50 cents for postage and handling, uh, not sold in New York city, which is still the case. So you know, you could get a pellet gun through, and there's another ad for a pellet gun that I won't go into. It's the same kind of deal. It's just a different type of gun. Uh, but you could just order a pellet gun if you were a child uh, through, uh, you know, a comic book. So I'm no, you know, anti-gun type of person. I'm a gun owner. I like going out and, and firing a gun at some targets and, uh, you know, out in the country as it were, and, uh, you know, I, I, it's a fun sport. Uh, I have no desire to ever use that on a person or really even an animal for that matter. Um, but, you know, it's a, it's a fun thing to go out and do in, in a safe environment with some targets and, and legally own it. And, but, uh, you know, it's just interesting that you could just order. Uh, granted, this isn't some kind of assault rifle, but still, eh, you still... It's pellets um, <laughs> through a comic book. Um, the next thing is a jackpot bank, and it's kind of like a, uh, you know, it's a, like a blackjack machine, like a, like a little machine you pull, like a, you know, teaching little kids to gamble, I guess. Um, but they always said these were uh, geared towards adults, I suppose, which leads us into the next ad, which is for X-Ray Specs. A hilarious optical illusion. Only $1.25. Scientific optical principle really works. Imagine, you put on the x-ray specs and hold your hand in front of you. You seem to be able to look right through the flesh and see the bones underneath. Look at your friend. Is that really his body you, quote-unquote, see under his clothes? Loads of laughs and fun at parties. But it has the guy, you know, with the glasses on looking through a woman's clothes. Uh, so that's interesting. Um, so I, I, you know, I would never have ordered one of these, but I was curious to see what it was. The next is for a lock blade stiletto blade, a nine inch long, uh, but basically a butterfly knife, I guess. Uh, maybe not a butterfly knife. That's a very specific thing, but it's, it's sharp and tough and it's a stainless steel blade and it opens instantly and it's only two seventy five. Uh, you could just order this through a comic book. Uh, holy God. And then there's an 8mm motion picture projector. That's pretty cool, right? Co- color or black and white. Only nine ninety eight, complete with screen. Uh, it, you know, has the features include a sturdy construction, a precision ground and polished lens, complete with demountable theater screen, uh, projects both color and black and white 8mm movie film. That's pretty cool, right? Um, free, new thrilling sensation, adds 3D stereo effects, Makes people look so full and real. You'll feel like you can reach out and touch them. Now, this is pointing to a woman who is wearing like a see-through. It, it's a little bit more than a bralette, but there's literally nipple here. 
I, I just the very voluptuous breasts. And she's wearing a, a full-on, like, I Dream of... It's basically the I Dream of Jeannie outfit if it were completely transparent. So uh, there's full, basically, nudity here <laughs> drawn. And it's, uh, it's hilarious. Because, again, it's like, these are for adults' eyes, not children. So here's your terror tales, kids. Uh, anyway, it's just, it's funny. It's, it, and it's so, it's, this is something that is so interesting to me and always has been is the ads in these. And again, this is supposed to be ad free. So that's why I'm like, is this real? But there's literally a thing you can cut out and send to this address. And I, I can't imagine they would not accept your money. So now we get. And I apologize it took so long, but I just I had to talk about some of these ads. Oh, there's also an ad for a monogrammed money belt. Um, but, you know, that doesn't allow you to see through women's clothes, so who gives a fuck, uh, apparently. So now we have terror tales. Our stories include The Strange Vampire, Voodoo Terror, Terror in Stone, A Head Full of Snakes, Skin Rippers, Satan's Warlock, The Blood Dripping Scarecrow, The Hungry Slime, Bloodbath, Blacklight Monsters. So, without further ado, let's get into The Strange Vampire. Luxembourg is one of the smallest states of Europe, but over its fertile fields, armies marched and blood has flowed for hundreds of years. Relics of battle are scattered in its rubbled soil. Great families have perished, and dark legends have arisen which haunt the countryside and strike terror into ignorant hearts. Not long after the last great war, two farmers were busily plowing on the once far-flung estate of the extinct de Garnes family. Jean, look, it's a sword. Uh, from the looks of the hilt, it's very old and valuable. Well, pull it out. Maybe we can get something for it. The hilt is solid gold, set with precious stones. Look, there's writing on it. Uh, Baron Charles de Garnes. What a discovery. But as the elated farmers left the field, we see hands rising from underneath the ground, digging up dirt, and a vampire-ish zombie-type face of uh, who turns out to be uh, Baron de Garnes. And I don't know if I'm even saying that right, but... And he says, Who has taken the suicide sword of Baron de Garnes? Who has uncovered my ancient disgrace? What have I returned to? My castle in ruins. My land ravished. The sword of my disgrace was plucked from my heart while I lay in unhallowed ground. On the outskirts of Wilts, here live the ghouls who robbed me. I shall have my sword back and their blood too. The peasant slaves... And we have a man awakening, I guess, he's either walking outside of his front door, it's hard to tell, but he's coming outside with a lantern, and he says, who, who are you? What, what do you want? Baron de Garnis says, you swine, I am Baron Charles de Garnis. Where is the sword you tore from my body? The man screams, let me go! My friend Clements took it to Luxembourg, to the Museum of the War College. You have aroused a fever in me. My throat is dry. I need your blood to sustain me. As he bites into the man's neck, your struggles are useless. Be quiet. Jean's death cries roused nearby farmers. 
Those screams came from the barn. It sounded like Jean Valance. Ah, it is Jean Valance. Look, up there, a strange beast like a giant bat flying away. A doctor pushed through the horrified group. My friends, this I have never seen in my 30 years of medical practice. Jean has no blood left. The wound was made by a vampire. A vampire, yes. That explains it. A giant bat. Jean screams. Meanwhile, at the gates of the War College in Luxembourg. Open the gates. I demand entrance to the Museum of War Relics. The museum is closed. You cannot enter it until tomorrow morning at nine. Out of my way, you insolent worm. I am Baron General de Granis. I don't care who you are. I have my orders. Clear out, you old lunatic. Ah, your throat is like a magnet. Only your death shall satisfy my craving now. Let me go. Your hand is cold like steel. I have drunk my fill. Now I must fly away before the gods arrive. We see the vampire uh, sucking the blood off his fingers. And that's something I will say to take a break here and give my goddamn throat a uh, a break. Um, it, it's, first of all, thus far, the art is magnificent like uh, you know I, I don't have a lot of complaints about the art and a lot of these comics that you know i talk about on here but man this is uh top tier and i was not expecting that from this book when i got it uh, i've got another issue of this coming actually too uh and i want to cover that down the line um but i'm really excited about it so i i might um i don't know i push that one forward before the next terrorology but god that's where I'm like, I, I wish the artist was known. I, I have a feeling there's some, it, this isn't Steve Ditko, but there's, there's, there's uh, panels that remind me of some of his stuff. But um, the detail of blood, again, it's black and white. So, you know, uh, it's all, you know, black lines and whatnot. So the detail of blood is not, uh, I don't know, it's, it's not, Sometimes it can be a little bit uh, all over the place and kind of like, I don't know, fuzzy or like you know, it's hard to tell what's going on. It's very uh, detailed here. They do a great job in those moments where this Baron um, uh, de Garenis, de Garen, I've probably been saying it different and wrong every time. But uh, regardless, um, yeah, it's, 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 it's great. Like the blood pouring from the necks and whatnot and like kind of like, like I said, like licking it off his finger and stuff. It's, it's, it's awesome. So um, that's fantastic. Now, before we move on, there was something I wanted to touch on. Oh, it's it's just like they're like, well, he's been drained of his blood. Gotta be a vampire. Which it's like, obviously, the, the cliche thing to do is be like, well, it must be some kind of virus or it must be a wolf. Must be a dog. Like, I, I love, honestly, that they're like, it's got to be a fucking vampire. Because that's, like, where I would go. Um, if you've seen in the uh, the most recent Spider-Man movie, Far From Home, um, you know, they go overseas, and it's, like, their class trip, and, like, shit starts to go down. One of the teachers is, like, you know, when they're trying to figure out what's going on, it's on the news. They're watching the news, and uh, one of the teachers, played by uh, J.B. Smoove, you know they're talking about it to each other like what's going on here and he goes you know in my scientific opinion 
it's got to be witches. And I thought that was really funny. Like, and his delivery, obviously, I didn't, I'm not doing it justice, but like, he does, he plays it so serious. Like, it, I mean, it's not a dramatic moment. You know what I mean? It's supposed to be a funny moment, but like the teacher, it's not funny to him. Like, he's like, it's, that's fucking witchcraft happening. Um, and that reminded me of this. Like, this wasn't meant to be funny either, but like, they're just going straight for the, vampire thing and i i like that they weren't like oh it just uh you know it was this and they're trying to make excuses and whatnot so i really do appreciate that about it um but anyway we can move on with the story and talk details um when i'm done so we come back to this scene of this guard that was taken down and he's saying um a, a huge man a strange old uniform said he was baron de Garenis. he choked me and Ah, poor devil. Summon the guard, officer, and a doctor, says another general. Or officer, rather. I don't know what he is. Um, we have later, you have the doctor and uh, a captain there. The doctor says, he died of strangulation and loss of blood. What do you make of this Baron de Garinus, captain? It's preposterous. The last... Garinus died by his own sword in 1814 after his army was defeated. Wait, the sword was found and brought here today. The commanding general was summoned. This Baron de Garinus will return for his sword. Do not display it in the museum. Watch for him, the captain says. Yes, sir. The next day, we see this Baron de Garinus. I know I'm saying it wrong, so you can stop correcting me. I'm going to actually, from now on, I might just say it different from here on out. <clears throat> the next day. My sword. Now I shall get back my precious sword. Now as we see the Baron kind of, you know, creeping and having that thought bubble uh, looking in, we also have, I guess, one of the captains looking out. And he's also thinking in the same panel, it's that fiend of a Baron. I will alert the guards in the museum. So we... Uh, okay, so now we have the Baron inside the museum, and the guards kind of standing around. The Baron is thinking, The museum crawls with soldiers. Ah, the sword display. I think I see mine there, and I will have it. So the Baron takes an old vase or some sort of uh, something like that and starts to smash the case in which the sword is being kept. And one of the captains says, uh, Get away from there, you madman! After it, men! Madman, when I have the sword in my hand, I'll cut those words out of your throat. And now he has the sword in his hands. Back, you dogs. I was Napoleon's right hand. I'll have your blood. Cut the Baron down. Show him no mercy. Die, you parade soldier. Bring on the whole company, and I'll slay them all. At this point, he flies out the window... Um, and there's dialogue and stuff included, but I'm going to avoid that. He flies out the window as a bat, uh, holding the sword. And this is where they realize, like, you know, that's a giant bat flying away with the sword. We've been fighting a vampire. Um, so they reach out to this captain. Um, well, they are talking about this uh, captain part out is wounded and three men are dead. They're surprised that he was able to subdue all of the guards they're explaining that this uh, creature is a vampire. It's not just a man. And, of course, then here, the I guess the Admiral, or the, and again, I apologize because I don't know ranks. I really don't. 
But whoever this guy, person who's more in charge, when they told it's a vampire, he's like, dismiss your men. I'm calling a staff meeting instantly. Like, again, no one is just taken aback by the fact that this vampire exists. It's just happening and everyone goes with it. I'm like, fuck yeah. Go you people. Like, yes, absolutely. Have it you. Have have it you. <laughs> yeah, please. Go on. Um so they have more conversations. Uh, now you have a captain um, coming to the general. He says, General, there's a man outside. <clears throat> Am I supposed to do a voice now? Fuck it. Fuck it. He says, General, there's a man outside from Wilts. He wishes an audience. It's about the Baron. General says, send him in. Uh, maybe, he can, maybe he can shed some light on the matter. So I guess we're moving forward a little bit in time. And he says, and your friend was killed in the same manner? A large bat was seen to fly away after his death. And he says, we, Mon General, I wish we had never found this accursed sword. It's after, it's it's that sword he's after. Which is funny that, like, to just randomly put some of it in French, I guess, to remind us that this is supposed to be French, and I was supposed to be doing a French accent, and I failed you. I apologize. Just uh, let the Mandela effect tell you that I did a French accent perfectly originally, but now... It was changed because Mandela effect. You remember it that I did it that way, but now I'm not. And you remember that I never talked about the Mandela effect, and now I am. It's all part of the plan. Anyway, an hour later. Gentlemen, research tells me that only a sword thrust through the heart will kill this vampire. His sword. Then someone must be found to duel with this superhuman creature. I have it. Colonel Mazel, the fencing master. Now we meet face-to-face with this Colonel Mazel, who's just paraded in. This is your enemy, Colonel Mazel. History shows he was a great swordsman, and and as strong as a lion. I can only offer my life. I will kill this beast, or die trying. And of course, this guy has got a Neville Sinclair mustache from, you know, the highest peaks of heaven. Now they hand him the sword... That, of course, belongs to, you know, the General de Garenesa. But he says, here is his sword. May you bury it deep in his heart. I am ready, General. I will drive to the... <laughs> I will drive my Mercedes-Benz to the ruins on his castle near Wilts. He didn't say Mercedes-Benz. I added that. Meanwhile, we see the vampire. I have been tricked. This is not my sword. I will go back to the museum. What is that I hear? Colonel Moselle had arrived on his mission of vengeance. May I present to you with your sword, Baron, which I hope to run through your black heart. My sword, you fool. It is useless to do with me. I was the greatest swordsman in Luxembourg. I will make short work of you. Not so fast, Baron. I have some tricks myself. We see the Baron's sword slice Colonel Moselle's arm. Ha! I have drawn first blood. Only a scratch, Baron. First blood is not always last. Now we see other uh, soldiers gathering. A battle of giants! But the Baron has the upper hand! Another soldier says, Colonel Moselle is weakening! How long can this savage fight last? As they continue, You dog! How dare you do with Baron de Garenus? Say your prayers. Not while there is strength in my arms. Suddenly, 
With lightning swiftness, the tide of battle turned. Back, you hell fiend! The advantage is mine! Hellas, I am disarmed! And surely enough, we see the colonel knock the sword out of <laughs> the baron's hand. Return to your grave and may your bones rot! And he stabs him right through the torso. And as we see Baron de Garenis and his corpse start to rot and just disappear into dust, we've got some off-panel soldiers saying, Colonel Moselle, you were magnificent. You dueled with the devil himself and conquered. Look, his face is shriveling away to dust. Now we can return the sword to the museum. No, the sword must remain in his body. It will keep him in his grave. Listen, what is that rumbling noise? Away! Run for your lives! The castle walls are falling! And we do indeed see the building crumbling around them. And we have what I guess is the Colonel Moselle saying, Baron de Garenesis Monument. A new episode of horror has been written in the history of our country. This day I will never forget as long as I live. Now he's smoking a cigarette, but it says the end. So I don't know if they were crumbled and they all died from this or if they survived it. And he's just saying, I'll never forget. But that's how the story ends. Um, I thought for sure he was crumbling this building, you know, atop them to take them down as his final revenge. But it doesn't seem like it because you you kind of just see the, the, the soldiers standing around with their hands on their hips there. Uh, looking at the wreckage, so I guess you know. In the end, the uh, the humans won. So um, I'll say, I- I've already talked about how great the art is, and it carries out you know throughout the entire story, and it's fantastic. Um, the story itself, like I was very surprised at how, and maybe I'm just used to like digging into some of these, like you know, I don't know, DC like. The Horrors of Mystery House, like those kind of titles where it's just, it's gonna be like, you know, really nothing. And that's fine. I enjoy those as well. But like, this one got really detailed on like the history and the characters involved and, uh, you know, moving the story along. And I was very surprised when I first read this at like, how deep it got there and like they moved it along to like the right person to fight this and it wasn't just some random like being like you know what actually if we think that maybe we could will this demon away it will disappear uh it wasn't any of that shit they actually like brought on a swordsman they already had the sword of this deceased you know the, of the i guess ghost or demon or whatever that was coming back they used that sword to fight it and ram it through its heart. Like it had a, I don't know it, it, the story made sense to me and that's, uh, for me at least a win. So I, I actually really, really liked this a lot. Um, especially for what it was. It's, this is not like a, an average, it's not like a haunted house story or anything like that. So I was very, very, um, happy with this. I, I, I think, and you know, some of these are better than other, uh, better than others. Um, sorry, I was teaching my son what because he kept pointing at a book. Um, it's uh, "Hey Diddle Diddle," the whole you know cow jumped over the moon thing. He was pointing at the cow's udders, and he was like, "Those cow boobies, cow boobies." I'm like, "They're udders. They're called udders. That's where the baby cows drink from." He was like, "Cow boobies." 
Yeah, but they're called udders. Anyway, that's been really rammed into my vocabulary lately. So anyway, um, yeah, some are better than other stories. But um, yeah, overall, like I'm actually pretty like stoked about this book in general. And I'm ready to get that other issue um, and again, I don't know what number that next issue is. It could be way down the line. It could technically, the way that they're voluming things out here, it could be volume 48 for all I know. So I'm very excited. But we will move on now to our next story, which is Voodoo Terror. And right off the bat, we see someone being completely just dismembered. Um as with an eyeball flying out of their skull, both of their arms and and like legs at right at the shins being blasted off, and their toes and fingers being i mean it's it's really gory uh like right in the wheelhouse of what we're looking for here uh and it says, "Death must come to all men. It is not that which bothers most of us. It is the dark, secret, unanswered question: How will it come?" At this moment, it is the farthest question in the mind of multi-millionaire Clark Vandermeer if he could witness the eerie, ominous ritual taking place in an underground crypt in Woodstock Cemetery. He would be very concerned. Now we see a character that kind of looks like, I don't know, the old witch or the vault keeper from EC Comics, but that's not what this is, so we'll go with it. Um, And this character is saying... <laughs> You're a perfect doll, an almost lifelike replica of the man I hate most in life. The man you will help me destroy. For twenty years you have been living in the lap of luxury, multiplying millions of dollars on the invention you stole from me. And now it is my turn to reap a share of the reward. Not in terms of money, but in glorious vengeance. Ha <laughs> And now, to test your ability, my little doll, if you are as effective as you look, you should render Clark Vandermeer excruciating agony and pain. <laughs> I shall let the enormous weight of your pampered body tug at every root of your hair like this. And we see two fingers, very pointy fingernails included, holding this voodoo doll, very human-like voodoo doll, up. By its hair. At that very moment, an agonizing scream shatters the silence of Clark Vandermeer's bedroom. And we, surely enough, see Clark Vandermeer with blood dripping down his head. Profuse bleeding renders his pain racked head and face into a grotesque mask of agony. We see him grabbing at his face while he's screaming. Back at the crypt, a macabre figure dances joyously at the success of his evil vendetta. And he is absolutely dancing and laughing. Suddenly, the frenzied dance stopped, and the lonely figure stood in the middle of the crypt floor, his face contorted with hate and anger. Oh, yes, my dear partner. How well I remember that night. I was working late in my laboratory, which they're speaking to themselves at this point. I was working late in my laboratory, exhilarated by the the successful completion of my new invention, a machine capable of producing synthetic blood. I was so elated that I was unaware of your presence or that your greed would cause you to crush my skull. 
After stealing the plans, you set fire to the place, leaving my lifeless form to be incinerated by the torturous, consuming heat of the flames. They only found this cremated cadaver to be exhumed from the hot ashes and buried here in this cold, dark crypt. Now, we do see this character, like, kind of looking like the mix of, like, the vault keeper with, like, the long, like, Farrah Fawcett hair, but also, like, with a burned body, but wearing a cape and, like, you know, the wrestling shorts. So, I don't know what they're getting at here, but we move on. You made one big mistake, dear partner. Now we're no longer in the wrestling gear. We're back in the robe. You were not aware that I had just given myself a complete transfusion of my synthetic blood moments before you entered the lab. (laughs) Synthetic blood that has the miraculous ability to restore life after a body lies dormant in its grave for 20 years. I have now risen from the dead for my revenge. Meanwhile, Clark Vandermeer grovels in his own blood, completely exhausted from the excruciating pain his body experienced moments before. He rises to his feet, weak and dizzy, but completely relieved from the tormenting agony inflicted on his person by the living corpse. But he is unaware that it will be a short reprieve. For at this very moment, as the macabre figure in the crypt prepares the voodoo doll for another evil performance... We see this character holding up the voodoo doll with both hands, lifting it up. He passes the voodoo doll over the hot flame of the candle. Clark Vandermeer's already tormented body writhes with the impact of the sudden agonizing burning sensation that sears his clothing and incinerates his living flesh. The smell of his scorched body permeates the bedroom. His boiling blood pours from every gaping wound. Back at the crypt... It is done. You left my lifeless form on the laboratory floor to burn. Now you know how it feels. How does it feel, Clark Vandermeer? <laughs> and now, for the coup de grace, and my complete revenge shall be realized. In a sense, what I'm about to do is an act of mercy. I shall put you out of your misery once and for all. After placing the voodoo doll on the mantle. The weird figure reaches into a dark corner of the crypt, from which he brings forth a huge meat cleaver. He raises it over his head, and in a sudden furious frenzy, hacks away at the little voodoo doll. And Clark Vandermeer's already mutilated body responds with an agonizing scream as his left arm is torn from his body. Now, before we move to the next page, this is legitimately like what you think of for horror comics like pre-code or like going around the code as a magazine like this is what you imagine uh so he chops the arm off of it and like you're literally seeing this mutilated body of this guy and the arm just being ripped from its body and then we move to the next page which i it, it, the, the the i don't know the text uh, <laughs> the word uh or i guess the narration describes it perfectly and this guy's screaming there's blood going everywhere again it's black and white but still within minutes the body of clark vandermeer is an unrecognizable heap of mutilated flesh and crushed bones lying in a massive pool of blood in the middle of his bedroom floor and legitimately can't tell what this is supposed to be 
There's just chunks of body. You see a spinal column. You see what looks like a part of a severed leg and an arm. And there's an eyeball. Big pool of blood. Uh, very graphic. Which is like, again, that's what we're looking for here. Back in the crypt. It is done. I can now leave this cold tomb for there is much work for me to do. I must right the horrible wrong that has been done. For whoever received a transfusion of my synthetic blood within the last 20 years and since has have passed away will soon be stirring in their graves. And perhaps like me, rising from the dead, they must be stopped before it's too late. We see this character putting on like a like a wide brim hat, like a witch's hat, and like escaping this kind of grave. Oh, didn't mean to hit the old mic, but escaping a grave there into the night. But it is too late, and graves all over the world begin to erupt as the dead rise. The end. I, I'm not. I don't know if I can say. Well, actually, I can because it's my show. Um. I, this is my favorite horror comic slash magazine that I have covered so far. Uh, this book fucking rules. Um, we talk about the gore and like, y- you know, even the ones we've talked about before, they don't really always really go there. Even if it seems more gruesome than not. Like I, I feel like this is the most gruesome we've gotten. And uh, I, it's fucking great. I'm like, yeah, give me this. I, this I'm going to be looking for this book. Uh, and I've already been looking for more issues. Like I said, I've got another one on the way. Um, and again, we're only two stories in. Like we have got, let me, let me get to it real quick. Yeah, we've got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight more stories. <laughs> All right, sorry. No, no, actually, that's right. Yeah, we have eight more stories left to roll through here like i and again some of them aren't uh some of them are like the kind of short stories and whatnot um but for the most part it, it's all like actual like you know comic book stories like again some are shorter than the others but we're we're talking full length like anthology stories and uh yeah so this is awesome uh this is my favorite series that i've covered so far as much as i love crease uh, creepy and EC and like the war and stuff. Um, you know, God, this is the kind of thing where I'm like, yeah, give me that gore. Um, and so far we have, and again, like I said, we've got a ways to go and, uh, we're going to make it through it. We're going to, we're going to finish out this issue and by God, maybe, maybe by the time I publish this, I'll have that next issue of Terror Tales, and I can go ahead and do that before. Um, or maybe I'll publish that Terrorology uh, 3 in between. But we'll see. Regardless, holy shit, I love this book. Uh, anyway, we'll continue on to the next story, Terror in Stone. Buried under the weight of the years lie terrible secrets shrouded in mystery and heavy with horror. And here we have Terror in Stone. Now here we actually do have, um, in in a horror comics fashion, like an opening kind of like half splash page that is signed. And it looks like it's signed with a um, Magagno. I should probably research that name, but I'm actually just noticing that right now. I didn't notice it when I read it before. Um, 
So there actually was a, an artist signature, but we'll go on. On a dark, deserted country road, a young couple come upon a strange little shop. Let's go in, George. He might have some valuable antiques. I don't like the looks of this place, Carol. It gives me the shivers. Well, obviously they went inside because we have the shopkeeper saying, Won't you come in, my friends? I have many fine antiques to show you. And George says, We'd like to see them. Carol says, Look at that figurine, George. I've never seen anything like it. This shop frightens me a little. These these things look so unnatural. I think you'll be interested in this statue, says the shopkeeper. Now, it's pretty much what's sitting around, and it's statues of beheaded people and people holding that head and knights and all kinds of stuff that if you were to walk into the shop, you'd say, you know what, I'm going to get the fuck out of here. But anyway, we go on. As if in a strange echo to George's fears, a statue is shown which fills the air with the sudden and numbing chill of evil. Now this statue is a portrait of a woman who belonged to an ancient witch cult, George says to himself. Her face is exactly like my wife's, only her features are grotesquely twisted. Now, I'll say this. The features are not, by any stretch of the imagination, grotesquely uh, twisted. Um, uh, the art does not. And the art is fantastic in this. It does not get across what he's talking about. Um, it's totally normal face looking. Um, it's like a. It, it almost like okay. So picture Raiden from original Mortal Kombat with that sort of like uh, you know the hat that's kind of a triangle looking shape from the front, but she has her hands on her face and she just looks normal. But anyway. So Carol says, fascinating. It might give my friends a shock when they see it. George, we'll take it. Which I'm like, really? You you will? Oh, okay. As the sale is completed and the couple starts to leave, a ghastly smile plays about the lips of the antique dealer. Someone else apparently at the antique shop says, you are smiling, my master. Why? I did not tell them about the curse. The curse of the statue is this. Each member of the witch cult is doomed to kill the one she loves most. When this is done, she is turned into a statue to be restored to life when her descendant kills someone in turn. Until this happens, she remains a statue. While in the car, the statue remains a quiet stranger and silent passenger. I wonder what terrible story that statue could tell. It's unusual, but that statue looks like you. Could it be related to you in some distant way? Suddenly, the husband turns his head to see a frightening transformation in his wife's face as it suddenly twists into a mask of evil, which I'm just telling you right now, it doesn't. She just kind of has like thick eyeliner on. That's the difference. Nonsense, George. Why are you staring at me? Your face, it's changed. How? What happened? You're seeing things. Drive carefully. There are steep cliffs around here. Suddenly, they have a flat tire. Wow, some place to get a flat. Uh, we're lucky. We're sitting right at the edge of the cliff, are we? Now the voice that comes from Carol's lips strikes terror at her husband's heart. I am compelled to kill you, George. The cult of the witches compels me to kill you. Huh? You must die. As they move closer to the cliff edge, Carol, you flipped. Stop. Stop. Slowly, 
Slowly, the statue-like creature moves toward her victim, pushing him further towards the edge of doom. My ancestors demand your life. Only then can they be free. Uh, Carol, uh, stop! Die! Die! You're mad! Go back! I'm at the edge! George falls to his death. A short while later, two policemen find a deserted car, the hideous statue of a woman, in an atmosphere heavy with mystery and foreboding. Where's the driver? And where did he get this strange repulsive statue? Looks like something the devil himself made. This statue is now standing at literally at the edge of this cliff, which is really creepy. And now uh, the statue, wearing the hat and everything, is running off with a thought bubble. Thank you, sister. Blood of my blood. You have broken the curse on me. Perhaps some century you will be as fortunate. Now I am free. Free! Free! And there is no one left to tell the tale of the curse. Only a broken body and a weird, silent statue. Now we see the police officers shining their flashlight down on the body of George. Uh, on the cliffs below, bleeding and dead. There's the driver. What a fall. Wonder how he got there. The end. So like I said, this is one of the shorter stories, but even so, uh, still gruesome, uh, still dark, and, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, uh, very malevolent, uh, and um, you still get some of that violence there with, uh, you know, the it, it's not super gory with the broken body there of George at the end but you know you get a little bit of blood and it's just it's just more of a short story like a dark tale um not much to it but the the art is great it's it's on the art's very consistent throughout this book um at least up to this point and um any hiccups we will talk about as we go on but yeah uh fantastic looking and you know just again not much to this just kind of a eerie little dark tale um very twilight zone ish or you know whatever uh again it's i guess it's not really tales from the cryptish but it is super twilight zoney like where there's not really much logic to it it's just the statue and trading off and like that's kind of a creepy little deal um i will say the art did not do a great job in the sense of depicting that the statue was grotesque looking because it's not it literally just pretty much looks like uh the wife i guess um very strange how that didn't come across but it is what it is uh that's a nitpick i guess but uh yeah other than that uh still enjoying the book as we go and we'll move on to the next story that story is a head full of snakes a little behind the scenes here i there might even be a quality shift uh, and that, that it might be audible uh, to you. I've actually upgraded a little bit of my equipment since uh, I've been... I, it, if you haven't seen on Twitter, I, I have had a hard time getting around to being able to just record this podcast in segments. Like, it's, it's fucking stupid how I've... You know, my kid's not in school right now. Um, I... I stay at home with him or not you know whatever take him to do activities and meet up with friends and all that kind of stuff um on top of uh, a myriad of other things uh that that i do uh among you know between the other podcasts and between 
uh, you know, just everyday responsibilities. And it has been fucking nuts lately. Like just being able to come up here and sit down for 15 minutes to record for this podcast. So again, I I just want to apologize that it's taken so long for this to get here, but good God, I I will not be brought down. So we're going to go ahead and continue here and see how far we can get tonight. Um, but we, we do have a head full of snakes. Foresaw the legendary face of unutterable doom, and each one met a fate too horrible to describe. But one among them was the true ghoul from beyond. All of us were scientists. Hugo Hoff, Richard Dare, and I, Jack Kroll Vivian, made a charming and very efficient fourth. We had traveled for months into impenetrable jungle, and now we saw it. Look! It's true, then. The lost city of Ilium. The land of the gods. We've found it. I threw a grenade into the closed corridor, allowing them to enter the temple. With a big explosion, they all hide behind a rock. Look, you've opened up some sort of passageway inside. Careful, everyone. Stay close to each other. Moments later, can you make out what it is? I don't see it too clearly in this gloom. Now we're coming upon what looks like a skull with bunch of snakes coming out of it and among other artifacts and something that looks like the grim reaper and then you have a female who i guess he didn't feel the need to name in the beginning but we'll get there she screams i guess that's her role she's there to scream as she screams and says look look and the snakes are moving the skull has eyes in it in the sockets the sight of that horrible monstrous face filled me with the dread that froze the blood in my veins suddenly I was slowly becoming paralyzed. We're turning to stone. I've got to destroy that head. Now I'm not sure who, but we see someone's hand throw a rock at this skull. And they say, back to whatever evil place you were spawned from. How we got back outside, I'll never know. But later, whoever this female character is says, I'll never forget that face. Never. It was a nightmare. And we see Richard, who's starting to look pretty strange, says, The head of Medusa. Ancient legend said it turned its onlookers to stone. (laughs) 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 Richard is changing. Oh, he's turning into that horrible creature. (laughs) Don't be afraid, mortal. Let me touch that lovely pulsating neck of yours. <laughs> it got Viv. She's being carried into the jungle. Head for the temple quick. It's the only place it would take her. I mean, we're jumping around here. Now, I know there's this low page count, but you don't see Viv get taken. They just say it. But she was standing behind the men. So, you know, going into this day and age... Like, you know, how did they get through? Uh, We'll never know. We'll never know. Uh, And we'll also never know how, uh, you know, character B, I I still don't know who's who, um, knows that the temple, I guess, back to where they came from would be the uh, thing there. But anyway, um, we follow it into the inner chamber of the ruined temple. Suddenly the creature turned on us, ready to kill. Now... One of the characters fires a six-shooter pistol right at the creature who screams, and it says, kill it, hurry, and then you have the bang. And now 
we've got the body of the creature. Richard, I guess, is who we're shooting. Uh, that's laying on the ground. Seems like it's de- decomposing or something. And one of the characters is sitting over the body. We know it's not Richard, but it's one of them. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Nope. Still not clear on that. Sorry. I was trying to look ahead, but anyway, here we go. Uh, the character that's leaning over the body of Richard says, We've witnessed a terrible tragedy. Richard Dare is no more. Viv, Viv apparently, says, Oh, Dick, let's get out of this place fast. So I'm trying to go back to the beginning here where he's introducing. Okay, so the reason it was so confusing when he was introducing the whole crew was because th- there's no, like, period or comma or anything when he's like, Hugo Hoff, Richard Dare, and I, Jack Crawl. There's supposed to be a period there, I think, and then it says, Vivian made a charming and very efficient fourth. So that's why I was, I was like, Jack Crawl Vivian. Why does he have three names? Regardless, let's move on. So they said, let's get out of this place fast. We have a panel. Um, it's more of like throwing a bunch of images together. You see a, a ship, you see a plane, you see a car. So that we traveled back to the coast within 10 days. Two weeks later, we were back in the United States safe and sound. All of us had decided never to mention Richard Dare's true fate. Then one day. So in a, on a, in a shadowy lab, I guess it looks like. We have Vivian, she says. Jack, something horrible has happened. It's Hugo. Come over right away. And Jack, uh, apparently she was on the phone. Uh, that's it. <laughs> I, I've, I've read this before. Didn't gather what was going on for for some reason now i understand they are making a phone call it's not very clear it's very shadowy very ominous and dark horrory anyway jack says all right at once viv gave me an address at which i would meet her but when i saw where i was vivian what are you doing here where's hugo in there jack oh it's terrible come now we see a sign <laughs> we see a sign that says uh, they're standing in front of like, you know, a metal uh, sort of picket, I don't know, whatever, gate, gate, metal, whatever, wrought iron gate, and some a dark building in the background, and there's a sign that just says Insane Asylum in the background. Um, now they're inside, and we see feet hanging from the ceiling, and uh, there's one shoe missing, so we have one bare foot, one shoe on one, the other foot, and you have Jack. Good heavens, what, how, and Vivian. The Medusa ghoul must have killed him. But why Hugo and not us? Viv, we must be next. What are we going to do? There was nothing to do. One morning, we see a man reading a paper. Uh, Looks like it, I mean, it says one morning. I guess it's very early in the morning because it's clearly still dark. We have a streetlight illuminating his paper. And he's reading, Fiendish creature roams city streets. None safe from murdering ghoul. No. It can't be. It it just can't be. This must be Jack. I, I've got to act fast. Idea after idea went through my mind. I knew who the ghoul was. I could see the actual events of how the creature lay in wait for its victims at night. Now we see the, the creature, the Medusa-headed creature choking out someone. Do not run, puny one. You can't escape the Medusa. <laughs> Help! Help! Don't touch me! Help! Now we have a police officer yelling, Stop! You'll never get away! As the Medusa creature runs and the bullet passes right through him. 
This Medusa creature says, Another Nick has been bitten. I always conquer. <laughs> I resolved to find Viv that night, for the ghoul could be her, no one else. Later, I found her near the outskirts of the city. Now we have him pulling up in a car uh, next to her on, I guess, the street. Um, and she says, Oh, it's you. I, I thought you were the... He says, Yes, I know. And I thought you were the ghoul, Viv. Uh, do you suppose Hugo's come back? So now we see them at, I guess, Hugo's crypt. And Viv is saying, Have you opened the crypt yet, Jack? But she's standing right there, staring at the door. Clearly, she knows the back and forth. Why do we need this? Doesn't matter. It's old. I'll forgive it. And he says, I, I think it's starting to give way. You could maybe, I don't know, push or help a little bit. Maybe push some weight onto it. No offense, Viv. But that's just me script doctoring. Um, now they're inside the crypt. And he's trying to pry open the coffin. Viv says, oh, now, she says, can I help? Perhaps if you use that crowbar, it might wedge it open. I mean, that's what he's already doing. Anyway, he says, no, it, it's moving. One more heave and I'll... And then we have the Medusa pop up laughing out of the coffin. And Jack says, you... But why did you wait so long to reveal yourself to me? Because it would be absolutely private here. So nice and quiet. So completely perfect for death. <laughs> the evil horror sprang at me. I sprang back and grabbed the nearest thing at hand. The sharp pointed crowbar. You forgot one thing. This crowbar. Now it stabs Medusa and right through the heart and as he's running away he says it's dead and I'm still alive I gotta get back home I gotta pull myself together later who will relieve what happened they'll never find her again why am I so weak so so very weak my face seems to be getting numb I no one I've ever felt so bad then it suddenly dawned upon me that there was only one type of mortal who can change back and forth into a creature at will. Now you understand? No. Don't look at me. My story is finished. What? You would still like to see my face? Then gaze upon me, for I am the true ghoul. Those are the three changed involuntarily. But I, <laughs> I can live forever. Come closer to me. Just one little bite on your throat. <laughs> <laughs> so there's a couple of things I mentioned with the well, the phone call which that doesn't matter but when they go in to crack open the coffin the art here is so confusing because you don't other uh, I mean other guys than when he's running away you don't get that like Vivian changed into Medusa to like I, I don't know when he cracks open the coffin, so it still kind of looks like it's the body rising out of the coffin, but I think they're implying, they are implying that Vivian turned into it at the last minute as he cracked it up. So, I don't know, it was just kind of weird. Uh, it's pretty unclear what the deal with that is. So, um, yeah, I mean, you know what? And the art was is it's great. Um, let me see if I can... This is one I had a hard time finding the art. Uh, for it's uh, 
Machagno, I'm trying to read the signature here. It's very hard to read. Um, I don't know. Yeah, anyway, um, and if I recorded it earlier in the episode, I apologize. It's been a long time since I started trying to record this. So um, anyway, I, you know, it's it's an interesting story. I, I guess it, it's just very confusing. Uh, and it has a lot to do with the lettering being kind of off um, in certain places. Uh, there are words that are even misspelled yeah, just a couple it's not that huge of a deal but um and again right there at the end with the art not being clear that vivian is turning into this creature and before you saw hugo or no it was uh dare who was it who was the first person and they actually say his name finally as he dies but they're just unclear about what character is which they all look the same um so it's just kind of hard to like tell you know who's who uh, yeah, Richard Dare is the one that, uh, yeah, that died, I guess, first. I, anyway, yeah, he died first. And then from there, I, I don't, you know, it's not clear on who's who. So that's one problem with this issue. Uh, they had kind of a cool idea, but again, it's just not very clear uh, storytelling. But, you know, it is what it is. Uh, it, I, like as I always say, I always have fun reading all of these. I really do. Um I never just skip over them, really, unless it's... There have been a few in the past, not anything that I've covered, but, like, you know, issues where it's like some sort of old medieval trial. Yeah, there's a couple of those. There really are, where it's just like, that. that's the That's the story. It's just a trial. Uh, and I've seen a few of those, unfortunately, and it's just like, I am bored as fuck. I don't care. And maybe one day I'll go back. It's just, it's, it's just by the end, I'm always like, okay, like, why is this in a horror comic? Like this should be in some kind of, I don't know, medieval trials comic for people that don't like exciting things. But, uh, you know, and if that's your bag, that's totally cool. I'm just fucking around. I'm just messing with you. Um, anyway, so we can go ahead and move on to the next story, which I did. It reminded me of a story from Creep Show, but we'll get there. Their love was foolish and dangerous, but love they must. Even at the risk of a horrible death, terror came, and the lovers paid a terrible price for ecstasy. But in the end, they were avenged by the monster crabs. Skin rippers. The year 1703, on Tortuga, an English colony, a criminal is being horribly executed. We see a man... Uh, tied with rope to a post in the sand near the ocean and a whole bunch of crabs uh, crawling, yeah, yeah, kind of crawling out of the water up to him and he's screaming. He's like, no, think about uh, Nick Cage in The Wicker Man. Not the, no, not the crabs. Shoot me, hang me, anything but the crabs. Gah! Yeah, kill me. Oh, have mercy. Yeah. Now, I wasn't trying to do a Nick Cage, but if you could imagine Nick Cage saying that, which should be easy if you've ever seen the Wicker Man remake. With the bees! Anyway, that's our that's our cold open here, and they're ripping the skin off his legs. Now we move on to a uh, very, uh, very high, uh, high-end estate here. Well, I know it's English, actually, so it wouldn't be Cajun. I can't, that's pretty much all I can do. Um... You got a very high-end English estate here. 
Sir Giles Romney, governor of Tortuga, watches the grisly execution from nearby and enjoys it. And as we hear the screams in the background, he says, A tough rogue, that one. But his pirate friends will remember those screams and hate me for it. Now a younger lad standing nearby says, Yes, Sir Giles, but why not kill them now? His screams sicken your wife. Nay, let the rogue die slowly. As for Damaris, she is young and tender and knows nothing of such things. But she will learn. To rule, one must be hard at times. At that moment in the music room, Damaris Romney tries to drown out the horrible sounds from the beach. And she's playing piano and thinks to herself, My husband is cruel, evil. John must take me away from this place soon. He must. John, I believe, is the young lad uh, that we saw standing near Sir Giles. Damaris is in love with young John Burton, the governor's secretary, and that evening with a trusted servant... We must hurry, mistress. If Sir Giles finds us gone, I know, Melissa, he would give us to the crabs, but that will not stop me from seeing my lover. So they hurry through the streets of the town. I'm afraid, mistress. You must forsake this madness. Patience, girl. It will not be long. John will find a ship soon, and we shall be gone. To a lover's rendezvous. Now we see Damaris and John... Uh, meeting up, she says, Darling, I must go soon. But please, if you love me, find a way to take me away soon. I will, dearest, but it takes time. Later, John Burton is arrested. Unhand me, you fools. I'm the governor's secretary. Quiet. You don't think we're doing this without the orders of his excellency, do you? Early the next morning, the governor takes his wife for a drive. Why are we going in this direction, Giles? You know I don't like this part of the beach. The stakes, you mean? But, my dear, I have a very special treat for this morning. I know the crabs sicken you, Damaris, but you hate executions. But this is different. I can't allow you to miss it. And I'll just go ahead and apologize now for all of the accents and all that shit being completely wrong because I'm just a fella from North Louisiana who is just reading a book. And that's what's happening. So here we go. You see, a friend of yours, the crabs will soon be after him. John, oh no, you can't. Oh, John, my darling, I brought you to this. And we see John tied to the post on the beach. Let me go to him. I love him. You're evil and vicious. Oh, let me die with him. No, my dear, your punishment shall be even worse and last longer. And then we see the crabs all over John, uh, picking at his shoulder and through his chest and whatnot as he screams. I curse you, Sir Giles. Evil be your fate. I... uh, The crabs are tearing at me. The next day, as the servant girl hastens to arrange a rendezvous, two soldiers come upon her. Just a minute, you. She thinks to herself. Those soldiers, they're following me. Oh, I'm afraid. And yes, her inner monologue is American. I, I don't write these things. Don't ask me why. 
You are wanted for questioning. No trouble now. No, let me go. I've done nothing. Uh, later, he, this officer, is the soldier, is bringing her in. It was your girl, your excellency. She will say nothing. Please, sir, make them let me go. We shall see, my girl. Tell me the truth and you have nothing to fear. The truth about my wife and John Burton. Speak. Finally, she is taken to a beach. She lies. Bind her well. We will have the truth yet. Now, of course, given artists and all that stuff, she is being tied to a post. But, of course, she's got just, like, very exaggerated uh, cleavage coming out of, like, a ruffled kind of sort of dress. And she's yelling, No, please, not this. Don't give me to the crabs. I swear I know nothing. And as they watch the sea, she thinks to herself, This time, not an American. Here they come, the monster crabs. They will eat my flesh while I still live to suffer. But if I tell the truth... And as the slimy creatures reach her feet, Melissa breaks. Wait, this is Melissa. This isn't even... (sighs) Okay, this whole time... Revelation after revelation. I'm not even realizing... I mean, I guess it makes sense, looking back, because he's like, you know, the truth about my wife and John Burton speak. Um, I just didn't realize that this was not his wife. I thought she was still trying to get away. But no, this is the servant, Melissa, that tried to help her escape. Okay, all right, now it's all clear. Okay, <laughs> here we go. Back to, uh, back to, here we go. And as the slimy creatures reach her feet, Melissa breaks. I can't, I'll tell, I'll tell they're lovers. They're going to run away together. Oh, save me. Ah! Release her and lock her up. For speaking, she shall have a quicker death. After the horrible death of John Burton, the girl grew pale and ill. Now, because the the girl and the wife all look the same, I, I just, I don't really, hold on. Let me just, I'll do some due diligence here. Let me just go back. Okay, so, I I mean, as far as I can tell, we're back with the wife of Sir Giles, I think. Okay, after the horrible death of John Burton, the girl grew pale and ill. There is much shipping in the harbor these days. And one of her, I guess, servants says, Yes, his excellency goes to hunt for pirates. She's thinking to herself, this time an American. I pray that the pirates kill him, that they torture him first. I want him to suffer as John suffered. I must have vengeance. I must. And at last the miles of revenge begin to grind. The pirate ship ships to the very mouth of the harbor and engages the governor's flagship. Fire away, bullies. Scuttle the bloody butcher. Aye, if we lose, we'll feed the crabs. Get the range, you fools. Sink the sea scum. The pirate gets a lucky shot into the powder magazine of the flagship. We see a large explosion as things are being, well, blasted to bits. And there is but one lone survivor, Sir Giles Romney. As he's floating on a post, he thinks, Safe. The tide's taking me in toward the stake beach. It takes more than a chance to kill me. A sudden tropical squall comes on and whips the sea into watery mountains. The waves have to hold on to this timber or I'll drown. Ah, the timber is going to crush me. Ah! 
when Sir Giles regains consciousness minutes later. The tide is on the ebb, and he is trapped beneath the giant timber. My, my leg's broken. I ca- can't move. I'm trapped at... Ugh. It's almost time for the crabs to come in. Help! Help! Now we see a dress, and a woman's feet walk up. Damaris, my wife. Oh, thank goodness. You came in time. Help me. Get the timber off before the crabs come, but both my legs broken. Hurry. Hurry, death. Help you, Giles. <laughs> Damaris, help me, I beg you. You're my wife. You can't... Can't I? I'm going to leave you for the crabs, my dear husband. How I'll laugh when you start screaming. His wife leaves, and with her goes the last hope. The crabs are upon him. No. Stay off. Get away. No. No. We see the crab. I just want to describe this because if we're going to get gory, we got to get gory. We see them pulling his, like, like stretching his eyeball out of his eye socket, like a piece of, I don't know, rubber or something and blood gushing out. Um, they're, you know, pinching on his lip, on his neck, and it's, uh, it makes your bones hurt. And he's screaming, of course, in agony. Damaris Romney died soon afterward, but to this day the natives of Tortuga swear that her ghost walks the old beach and laughs at night. <laughs> we have a finished darling. John, darling. <laughs> so, I said this reminded me of Creep Show. It, it reminds me of the uh, Ted Danson, Leslie Nielsen, and I apologize, I can't remember who the female character was. Uh, segment of Creep Show, um, where you know he buries them in the sand underwater, and the tide rises, and they drown, and they come back as zombies. Which this actually kind of is nothing like, I guess. Um, I don't know. For some reason, it just gave me that vibe, though. Uh, with the crabs, though, I think it's it's pretty gruesome. I like that. Um, I like that aspect. Uh, so in, in, in concept, I think this actually is really cool and really creepy and some of the visuals here, uh, while not overly gory, it still makes you squirm a little bit just because, you know, um, you know, crabs pinching your eyeballs and ripping, you know, all that stuff and just eating away at your flesh. Uh, you know, how realistic is it? Well, how realistic is any of it? But anyway, um, so I did like it in concept and visually it's just, that's also where the problems kind of come in is visually it, it gets again. I, I could not tell the difference between Melissa and, uh, God, I can't remember her name. Uh, Giles, uh, Damaris. That's right. Damaris, 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 Damaris. I probably said it every which way. Um, that's where it got a little difficult because I didn't really, it, it was hard to say in those parts that that was what was going on which now I actually and I say that in hindsight I it seems obvious now now that I've realized it I'm like why didn't I I've now read this a couple of times so why am I not realizing that um so that's just me but um maybe that's not a problem in the book but they do look very similar uh so that was kind of like a little bit of the confusion you know and kind of when the last story too is like well these characters kind of look it's the same person, and you got like four of them. So, um, but regardless, I mean, it's a creepy little tale. Uh, definitely much better than the last one. Um, 
And, uh, you know, despite the kind of the mix up there, I did enjoy it actually quite a bit. The, the crab bit is, uh, yeah, the steaks, um, is pretty creepy. It's pretty, uh, eerie and, 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 uh, you know, skin crawling. Uh, but we can move on to the next story here. Satan's warlock over the long deserted village of Jericho notch. There hung a dark pale of evil. The yellowed pages of the ordinance of the devil was still intact, bound in leather, waiting for the right person and the right time. It was night, and an old sedan crawled up a mountain road. This rain! I, I can hardly see the road ahead! I'd better stop and check my map if, if I expect to find Jericho Notch tonight. Ah, there's a gas station ahead. Maybe someone can give me directions. He knocks on a door. Place is dark. Maybe they're asleep. By candlelight, an old man answers. Fine time of night to wake a man. What do you want, stranger? I'm I'm sorry, but I'm looking for Jericho Notch. C- can you tell me how to find it? At these words, a strange expression f- flitted across the man at the door. His voice was hushed. You want to go to Jericho Notch? Yes, I saw an ad in a newspaper saying they needed a shop teacher up there, so I drove up at once. Stranger, you must be mistaken. No one lives there. The town has been deserted for 200 years. Deserted? I I tell you, I, I saw an advertisement. It must have been a printer's error or something. Jericho's not just been a... It's a ghost village. I'm going up there to find out for myself. Now, how do I get there? All right, I'll tell you how to find it. Uh, Keep driving this road for about five miles. You'll come to another crossroads, a spot where there's a huge oak tree with a spike driven into it. Uh, Folks call it Spike's Crossroad. Go left there, you'll be in Jericho Notch. Again, the schoolteacher got underway, this time with a strange sense of foreboding. What would he find in Jericho Notch? And as he's driving through the rain, he thinks... It's silly. Who would place an ad for a teacher in a ghost town? I must be going balmy. I don't know what that means, but I like it. Going balmy. I'm going to stick with that for now. Suddenly, the heavens shuddered with the crackling boom of thunder lightning. And as he pulls his car up to a tree, the spike in the oak tree. This is Spike's crossroad. I've I've got a bear left now. What the? The road's slippery and the car's skidding. Now he does slam against, uh, I don't know, some kind of ledge. Whew. Lucky the car wasn't too badly damaged. Hmm. Looks like a house ahead. Maybe I can find shelter for the night. I'll try it. He runs up to the house in the rain. Why, this must be a schoolhouse. There's even an old iron bell with a missing clapper. Most unusual. As the school teacher shivered from the cold, he became aware of an atmosphere of dread menace. Hmm. It all seems so familiar. But how could it be? I've never been here before. I've heard my grandfather tell that our ancestors first settled in this part of New England. But that must have been ten generations ago, and yet I have the feeling that I know this schoolhouse. The feeling that I, I was meant to come here. As his thoughts explored the imponderable, the teacher shuddered from the biting cold. I'd better get a fire started in the stove. The matches should do the trick. Lucky someone left them here. As the flames filled the room with warmth, the teacher 
picked up a dust-covered volume lying on a shelf. Hmm, this looks as old as the schoolhouse itself, yelled Parchment. Let's see what it's about. We see the cover. Ordinance of the Devil. What a strange title. And the author's name, it's Joshua Sprague. But that's, that can't be, that's... At that moment, there was a shattering roar as the stored-up thunder-blinding light flashed through the room. Thrown off his feet, the teacher reeled forward and lay motionless, the ancient book still gripped in his hand. Now, he's literally floating in, like, flashing lights and swirly designs. How long he lay there, he could not say, or whether time was passing forward or backward. But the next thing he heard was a strange sound. The bell! The clapper was gone. How could it be ringing? And it is like a bong, dang, bong, dang, kind of like a grandfather clock kind of thing. Strange. The cobwebs are gone, and the schoolroom is new. My clothes, ruffles, and buckled shoes, and this wig. I'm dressed like a school teacher of 200 years ago. And he really does look like George Washington. And the bell is ringing, and the students are arriving. They are not children. When they arrive, one of the, one of the students says, uh, Good morrow, Master Sprague. We have come to learn something about furniture for our dwellings. And he says, Ah, yes, of course. Come in, all of you. And then, as the young men sat, a powerful impulse dominated the teacher, seizing him completely. It was the impulse to control them, body and soul. Have you studied your text for today? Yea, we have, Master Sprague. Good. Then tell me, what is the lesson? Well, the lesson is what you have taught us, Master Sprague. The ordinance of the devil. Ha! You have learned well. Who is the master of all things human? The devil is our master, sir. Yes, he rules the earth. Yes, and witches, goblins, bats, and werewolves are his servants. And we serve him, too, as you have taught us, Master Sprague. Ha ha ha! You have done better than I thought. Yes, we are all servants of the evil one. Now, can you prove your allegiance? As you have taught us, Master Sprague, to do evil in his name. Now, the visuals are getting darker and more, like, the panels are more black with, like, almost like lights underneath the people, like, shining up. It's pretty creepy. It's a really good, uh, creepy effect here. Uh, it's, it's just actually getting darker kind of as the panels go, which is a really cool effect. So now this Sprague... Um, I'm saying Sprague because I know a person whose last name is spelled exactly this way, and their last name is pronounced Sprague. So it's S-P-R-A-G-U-E. Um, so if there's some other pronunciation, that's fine. I'm just pronu- pronouncing it the way that I know someone named this. So behind Sprague, he's like up on the stage, and like now there's like these lighted sort of like, but still kind of like ominous, uh, not... I don't know, kind of vague demon faces in the background, and they're, but they're all hooting and hollering like a Pentecostal church. They're like, there, there, I see him. It is the devil and a host of evil ones. Come to join us. Now, Sprague is like hooping and hollering. He's screaming. He's like, I see him too. Welcome, master. We are your slaves. Command us to do your will. And he screams again. At this point, you have a stone thrown through the window. And outside the schoolhouse, you have the, I guess, the locals. Devilish Sprague, 
evil one. It is not woodworking you teach, but the word of the devil. Let's go in there and fetch out the witch Sprague. Seize him. Now they're, you know, doing the classic, like, slamming the giant tree log against the door, I guess, to crash it down. They're saying, we'll teach him a lesson. We have the proof on him. His book. Grab him. Drag him outside. And Sprague is yelling, you fools, let me go. Let you go? Not until you're dead, Joshua Sprague. Aye, but will that end his sorcery? It will, if we do it a certain way. We must drive a spike through his accursed skull and nail him to an oak standing at a crossroads. That will crush the devil in his soul for ten generations. If any of his clan return here, they will suffer the same punishment. Then what are we waiting for, dolts? Here's the oak tree. Aye, and here's the spike plus the hammer. Let's get on with it. Death was now about to seize Joshua Sprague. And as this man holds the spike to Joshua Sprague, who is tied up, it's like pretty gruesome. Like he's tied up with a rope around his neck around the tree and then around his like, you know, rib cage around the tree and then his arms around the tree. And he's holding a spike up to like the bridge, I guess, right between your nose, like right on your nose, right between your eyes. He says, say your prayers, Sprague, if you know any fit ones. Sprague is saying, no, no, spare me, I beg. I'll not practice sorcery again, I swear it. And when he's saying that, blood is already, like, just running down from where the spike is, like, breaking the skin. And then he hammers the stake in, and it goes, here's the most impressive part of this art to me. It's like a side view, but it's like, the background is black, this sort of action uh, effect around the hammer hitting the spike is like the white, but like his, you, you do see like his face from the side, like the silhouette in white, but it also like his head then from there forms the kind of crack sound. And then around the back side of his head, the spike is coming out, but it's just really cool how they form that sort of crack sound effect in the middle uh, you have to see it to know exactly what I mean, but uh, it's going right through the center of his head. It's pretty gruesome. This is a gruesome kill, I'll tell you. Um, again, it's just a little bit bloody, but it's not super gory, but still, I mean, Jesus. So we go ahead. We're back to a rainy night at a at a old, dilapidated house, and we see, once again, rain slanted fiercely into the shingled roof of the schoolhouse. Dawn came, and with it, the rain ceased. Through the forest walked two men. When the old fellow didn't show up again at my gas station, I figured he might have gotten lost, Sergeant. That's why I called you. Well, we'll soon see, Fred. That's his car parked just off the road, and his tracks lead up towards the schoolhouse. The footprints go in, but they don't come out again. We better investigate. Look, a body lying across the room. It's the schoolteacher, Sarge. He's dead. Hmm. He's got a big sliver of metal right through his skull. Think it was murder, Sarge? I reckon not. He made the mistake of building a blazing fire in an old stove that exploded and drove the iron into his head. Just an accident. What's that book he's holding? Oh, just some dusty old textbook, I guess. He's holding it so tight, I can't pry it loose. Suppose we'll have to let him be buried, still holding on to it. We'd better phone for her, Sarge. Let's identify him first, Fred. Here's his wallet, Sarge. Hmm, his name was Joshua Sprague. 
I better write that down so I don't forget it. Joshua Sprague. So it was that Joshua Sprague returned to the scene where his ancestor had died centuries before. And there he suffered the same? Perhaps the answer lies within the pages of the ancient book clutched in the teacher's death-stiffened fingers. But no one will ever read that book. For it was buried with Joshua Sprague. So this is an interesting uh, story. In that there's not really like a, you know, there's not really like a lesson. Not that there always has to be, but you know, a lot of times there's a, you know, I guess, well, now that I'm saying it out loud, it's kind of like, well, the lesson is they do get their comeuppance and, you know, we have this Joshua Sprague who I guess, you know, could be reincarnated or, is, you know, like they said, just an ancestor. Who knows? But um, it was an interesting story. Uh, I, I think the art is fantastic. Uh, it's pretty brutal when they're driving that stake through uh, the, the bridge of his nose, um, you know, with the crack and all that stuff. So uh, that was cool. As far as the story goes, uh, it's, you know, it's, it's fine. Uh, <laughs> it's it definitely twisty, but it just, you know, by the end being like, well, his name is Joshua Sprague and he is an ancestor or if it's like he's just maybe in some kind of hell and forced to sort of relive this reality over and over. Who knows? I don't know. But that's kind of, I don't know. It's one of those things where it's like, well, they don't go that in depth with it. Uh, so with that idea at least, but maybe it's reincarnation kind of thing or like, you know, everyone in his family is forced to have that fate. So, uh, but either way, not bad at all. There's some very, very cool uh, art uh, or, or panels. Like I said before, um, and just ways of depicting the art. Uh, it's it's fantastic. That's worth it alone. And again, the story's not bad. It's just kind of like, eh, okay, uh, here we go. Uh, some of the police work is very uh, like, oh, well, I, you know, we're just, I can't get the book out of his hands, so I guess he'll have to be buried with it. And uh, despite, I guess, maybe having an autopsy? I, I don't know. This doesn't seem like it's that long ago, but who knows? I'm thinking way too deep into it. And, uh, you know, it is what it is. So we'll, we'll just call that. And uh, and it is what it is. But again, the art is totally, totally worth it. Um, so we can move on to uh, the next story here. The Blood Dripping Scarecrow. Retribution, however just, is often weird and violent. But none was more horrible or more just than that dealt out to Bentley Long. The blood-dripping scarecrow. With the aid of a foreclosed mortgage, Bentley Long has bought a decrepit southern plantation that he intends to refurbish and sell at a fabulous profit. You there! I'm Bentley Long. Who are you? Uh, Just call me old Zachariah, Mr. Long. I've been living in this shack on this here property. Live along here, old man? Uh, Almost, Mr. Long. The scarecrow and me are here together. Now, this Mr. Long is a is an uppity sort of to-do, kind of cigar-smoking, uh, kind of uh, know, southern... Uh, I'm trying to think of... I can't remember the politician's name in uh, Oh Brother, We're Arced Out that goes to record the record. He's the one that's like, you some bitch. Oh, yeah, you some... He's like the, you know, typical... He wears the all-white hat and all-white suit and all that stuff. He looks like that guy. So he says, I'm not interested in your stupid scarecrow. And as for you, you'll have to leave. 
Sorry you feel that way, but I'm not going. You heard me. Leave. This is my home, and I'm going to stay put here until I die. Me and my scarecrow. Later that night, their treacherous long reviews the day's events. As he's pouring a glass of scotch, I presume, he's thinking to himself, The old man must go. This place is all mine, and that scarecrow of his gives me the creeps. I'll see him again tomorrow and tell him to get off my grounds. If he doesn't, he will live here until he dies. <laughs> the next day, Bentley Long confronts the harmless Zachariah. Like I said, we're not leaving. I've warned you, old man. You wanted to live here till you die, then you will. Die now. You old scarecrow, die. This place is mine. Ah! Having slaughtered Zachariah, Bentley Long buries the old man. <sighs> well, that's that. Now to remodel the plantation and resell it for a huge profit. The next day, Long is shocked by a pleasant surprise. Ha! <laughs> I kill old Zach and now the scarecrow is gone. Just as well, it makes my job easier. Now, what he's walking upon here is he's, you know, in the farm and now the sort of crucifix type thing that a scarecrow hangs on is, is obviously gone. That night is Long Returns Home. Hmm. The old man's hat. I thought I buried it. What's it doing here? Now he's standing next to a lamp on, uh, I guess, in his bedroom here on a desk or side table or something. So that old uh, scraggly hat's there. The next day, in the same place, we see him uh, holding something terrifyingly gross. And he says, straw, bloodstained straw. How did it get in here? No, it can't be. And that night, the scarecrow's glove. How did it... Wait, maybe I didn't kill the old man. Maybe I'm going mad. In desperation, Long rushes to Zachariah's grave and digs out the corpse. And it's the same as he left it, only now there are bits of straw strewn about. The straw. How did it get here? And, ah! The hand! It moved! Long turns and races away from the grave, but his alarm turns to wild hysteria as the corpse rises in pursuit. And we see the corpse digging its way. We see its face and hands kind of bursting out of the ground, digging its way out and screaming. It's chasing Long through the swamp slash bog uh, as well, which is a really cool, it reminds me of Swamp Thing, honestly, a Bernie Wrightson type of deal, but uh, it looks great, this panel here, but then we move along. Terror-stricken Long races across swamps and fields in a mad rush for the safety of his mansion. Which here, this doesn't look like a mansion anymore, so that's weird. Anyway, he's headed for the front door. Go back to your grave, you, you're dead, dead, dead! I'll barricade myself in the mansion! But the corpse keeps moving closer and closer, relentlessly toward Long. Stop! Do you hear me? Stop! Dead men can't walk. Maybe you're not dead. This gun will change all that. He shoots three bullets through the monster. The bullets, they, they went right through him. Now they're, he's being backed up to a uh, railing on a stairwell by the monster. Stunned by the gruesome vision's immunity to his bullets, Long turns and crashes through the balcony railing to awaiting death. As Long lies dead, a fantastic macabre spectacle transpires. Now we see this corpse dragging Long through the yard and tying him up to the sort of crucifix. And then the corpse drops in front of Long, who's, again, now the scarecrow. 
His lurid task completed, Zachariah falls at the dead man's feet, and a weird transformation takes place the next morning. Now we have these, I guess, other two farmers here. One of them is holding a shotgun or something. I, I, no, he's holding a like a pitchfork kind of thing. I don't, I don't know. These are just neighboring farmers, I guess. So the two are talking to each other, and the one says, Zachariah doesn't seem to be around here anymore, but I see he's got a new scarecrow. Yep. Sort of looks like the new owner long. The end. So this one was fun. Uh, again, the art is unmatched. It's it's fantastic. Uh, I, I, you know, it, again, it's, it's such a short story. It's hard to say like, oh, this or that, whatever. It's, I don't know. I thought it was kind of fun that like, you don't, but you don't really get the explanation of like, what's this connection between uh, Zachariah and this scarecrow? It's kind of something that's left to be because whenever in the panel in which he's like screaming, die now, you old scarecrow die, this place is mine. You're actually seeing the scarecrow's face like up close with the shadow of Zachariah being stabbed through the throat um, as he was screaming. Uh, so, you know, there's some kind of connection. It's just more of a mystery kind of thing, I guess, to see like not not to see, but just to kind of like have it in your mind of like, oh, well, OK. There was, you know, I'm sure there was never a follow-up, but you know what I mean? Like, okay, so there was some deeper thing going on here that you can just kind of use your imagination on. Um, a lot of times I don't like that kind of thing, uh, but here, actually, I, I don't know. I kind of enjoyed it, especially for being such a short story. Um, I kind of enjoyed that idea um, that you kind of only know, to a certain extent, you only kind of know what the, you know, what long... It's what was his first name? Bentley. Yeah, what Bentley Long knows. You only really know what you're experiencing, what he's experiencing. So he doesn't know the past of this and anything. He doesn't know the backstory. Um, only we get to see, you know, what happened after he died. But that's kind of the way they approach it, I guess. Uh, but yeah, I liked it, actually. And again, the art doesn't hurt. Uh, so uh, there's not much more to really dig into there. So we can head on over to what I think is the penultimate. Penultimate, penultimate. I hopefully will never use that word again. Uh, next, it's the second to last story of this magazine. Uh, I feel like I've been recording this episode for a year, just because of the pacing of which I've been able to actually get time separated from everything else to come record this. So I'm excited to finish this one and start on the next one because things are about to start clearing up. Uh, so very excited for that. So uh, yeah, again. I dig this book. I just, now I felt like I've read this same uh, issue like 20 times to like prep for this. So, uh, and that being said, I still like it. So anyway, we're going to move on to the next little story here. And that is The Hungry Slime. A million years ago, when the earth was a mist. Is that a thing? Is that, is that <laughs> when the earth was a mist? Who knows? Many strange things lived and disappeared without a trace. But some didn't disappear and still lurk in dark, untrodden corners of the world. Earth was a mist. A mist. It's interesting. Very interesting. Okay. Merrill Dane had scaled the walls of the Southern State Prison and now is lost in the Everglades. And as he's running through the bog, bloodhounds, they're sure to get me. Unless they lose my scent when I cross this stream. 
dogs are going off in the background, of course. This whole time they're going off. Getting closer. I have to run for it. If I wasn't so tired, I must rest just for a few minutes. As Dane gulped quick, painful breaths into his aching lungs. That strange green mire. I've never seen anything like it before. It's reaching for that rabbit, clutching him with incredible speed. It's aiding him, turning him into ugly green swamp stuff like itself. Suddenly, the bloodhounds, they're telling me to ribbons. Dane fled in a wild panic, unaware that his foot brushed the edge of the green ooze. I'll never make it. My legs like lead. And then, only a few moments later, what's happened? I'm running faster than the wind, bounding through the air like, like a rabbit. Dane easily outdistanced the bloodhounds and sought refuge in the hut of a swamp squatter where that green slime, the evil swamp stuff, get it off. Why? What's wrong? Look behind you, man. Look behind you. Now we see the slime following them. Hurry before it gets here. It always gets back its own, even the tiniest spot. And if it's on you, it'll swallow you too. Dane hurriedly wiped off the ugly smudge and flung the rag at the crawling ooze. It got what it came for. Now it's going back. What is that devilish stuff? No one knows, excepting that it's evil and alive. They say if you touch it soon after it's eaten a living thing, you kind of absorb something that was part of that thing. Now Dane thinks to himself, it must be true. I got it on me after it fed on the rabbit, and I was able to run like a rabbit. Dane rested at the shack for a few days, and then, Don't you forget, you better not mention that green stuff to nobody outside the swamp. They'd think you crazy. I won't. And thanks a lot, old-timer. I wanted him to say, Old-timer, I'm 30. Jesus Christ, this is just what we look like down here. But that's neither here nor there. Dan fled to a distant city where he changed his name and secured employment. Now we're in the office. Uh, Dane is sitting behind the desk of an R. Jones, a general general manager. And he's thinking to himself, I could really get places here. If I'd ahead for figures like Jones, there was some way I could acquire his talent. But maybe I can. The swamp stuff back in the Everglades. If I could get him there and... Jones and I are going to get real friendly. Some days later... Funny that we're both interested in hunting. No, it's not. You're from the South. That's just what we do. Funny that we're both interested in hunting. I know a swell place. Alive with game. Like to come out with me this weekend? Right, it's a date, says Jones. Jones called it a date. I don't know if Dane knew what he was in for, but he went along with it, so I applaud you, Dane. That weekend, where there were no witnesses but the grim shadows that... Writhed suddenly on the stream. Ambrose, what what are you... Ah! Now, Dane has pushed Jones into the uh, into the slime in the swamp. <laughs> It'll suck your life force out so that I can absorb it. I think I just gave him the old hermit's voice, but now nah, fuck it. Moments later, must remember, have to wipe it off in an instant. I mean, I say gave him the old hermit's voice. It's all the same voice. I, I hope you know that I'm aware of that, that I just, I've got like a couple of variations on just my same voice. Like it's all the same thing. I, I know that. So no need to 
no need to point it out. I, I, I got it. I got it. I'm limited in my capacity here. So now Dane is, uh, he's wiped off the remnants, I guess, of the slime, and he's throwing the rag back in the old swamp. It, it's amazing. I, I can think with such clarity now. That problem I couldn't solve yesterday, the solution just leaps into my mind. William Ambrose, alias Merrill Dane, convict at large, won his promotion, but he still wasn't satisfied. So it's funny that they didn't tell you that he was going under an alias um, before. So I'm just going to keep calling him Dane, despite the fact that it might be Amber. I don't know. Either way. So he's got his feet propped up. He's now general manager now that Jones is gone. And he's thinking to himself, this job is peanuts. The green pool can make me the greatest man of all times. He bided his time until he became a leading member of the community and then invited three men to his home. Gentlemen, I want you to come with me on a little trip. So there's a general that says, Hmm, it's all right with me. Another guy that says, Count me in. No questions asked. Sometime later at the green pool, now he's thinking, Dane is thinking to himself, Evans, the world's greatest scientist, Calkins, a politician, and General Wright, the military genius. When I plant them here, I'll combine all their genius into one mind. Mine. Well, Ambrose, we're here. What's next? You'll see. Step forward, all of you. Into the green pool. Now, it's worth noting that uh, fucking uh, Ambrose slash Dane is, he's got a pistol pointed towards these men. And one of the men says, the man's mad. And then as they're walking into the swamp, he goes, let's humor him. The worst that can happen is that we'll soil our clothes. Uh, No. Okay. The worst that can happen is he's going to blow your fucking brains out, but we'll move on. All right. If you say so, but I don't like the looks of that stuff. Something evil about it. Right. So the worst that could, anyway, I've said my piece. So they get swallowed up in the slime and they all start screaming. So of course he puts his hand in the slime and he's like, now to absorb, <clears throat> oh, I'm sorry, hold on, now to absorb their genius, become the greatest man on earth. Wait, that little fleck of green under my thumbnail, can't get it off, have to hurry, it, it won't wash off, no, no, wait, and the slime starts to rise out of the swamp, go back, go back, let me go, let me go, and it's taking him over. Relentlessly, the putrid torrent washed over him, and then its terrible hunger Sated, receded slowly. And all we're left with are the bones of old Dane or Ambrose or whatever. Um, I guess it worked faster here because it was on his skin, maybe? Because before it was like on his shoe and he continued to like run through the swamp to get to the old hermit's, you know, shack to then, you know, be told, get that off your shoe or whatever. Uh, So... I don't know how that works, but uh, I know I liked this story. Actually, I thought it was kind of fun. Um, it's in it again. It's one of those things. It's just like that's that's what you get with these stories. Is like you're not going to get the sort of backstory about how the thing works. You just have to go with it, like and just go with like okay, this slime in the swamp for some reason gives you the powers, <laughs> or not the powers, but like 
some part of the person or thing that it ate before. Uh, but if you don't get rid of it, it'll consume you. And I don't know. I thought that was a cool idea and a fun little short story. Um, I could actually see this story being like, not with these characters, but like an ongoing thing where it's like, what is this character? Like, you know, seeing what each character in the new stories would do, I guess, with that sort of knowledge or with that, uh, you know, ability of being able to be like, okay, well, we can do this, this, and this, but as long as we wipe it off really quickly, uh, it won't affect us. Um, so I don't know. I'd say ongoing, maybe not ongoing, but like, you know, a few different stories just to get different perspectives and, you know, just different tales of how to manipulate other people and whatnot. So, but I liked it a lot. I really did. Uh, the art was, is, is great. There's some cool kind of noirish looking, uh, sort of side silhouette panels that they do here. Uh, the swamp itself is not very detailed. They don't really go into much, but they don't really have to. They're really more, more focusing on like the shape of the slime coming out of it. Um, but uh, yeah, so I thought it was kind of cool. I definitely, I, when it went to him like being like the big businessman, I was like, wait, how? So I guess there was a time in history where you could just tell people that your name was one thing. And they did, couldn't get on the internet and fucking like background check you and say... Uh, now hold on a second. Your Facebook page says this, uh, or your face matched photo app says that uh, you are actually this guy. So what's going on here, Mister? Um, so I guess it's it's hard to understand. I guess nowadays, and that's only going to get worse for generations to come. But um, at the time before the internet, uh, me and my friend were talking about that for hours the other night. Um, he was helping me like we're rebuilding a part of my house and he was helping me do it. And we ended up talking about like what the, what is a millennial and like this, this term millennial gets thrown around about anybody that was born, I guess in like the mid eighties. And it's just like, what the fuck are you talking? to me? Like a millennial would be like, if you fucking grew up in the age of like high speed internet and like social media. Um, and that's, we kind of agreed on that. Like, that seems to be what a millennial would be because I remember not ever having internet. I remember going to video stores and renting only VHSs because DVDs weren't a thing. Um, and I'm only 32. Like, that's not, you know, uh, it, which is crazy still to think about like that. In, in my, but anyway, that's all going off, off the point there. But uh, I guess the whole point was just like, technology and whatnot people aren't going to understand certain aspects of a lot of these books you know they're like wait what oh those were the old times before you could google someone's name and and watch them on a live feed in their home masturbating furiously no uh but anyway i liked this i did like this story it was a fun kind of how i like the visit to the swamp i like that it wasn't like a big swamp monster a swamp creature it was just like this kind of nondescript slime uh, and again, being black and white <laughs> makes it like that much more like ambiguous. So that was fun. I really did like that a lot. Um, and there's a, again, right towards the end, there's a lot of cool kind of noir sort of panels and whatnot that uh, I thought were awesome. So uh, we'll go on here to the last. Um, I, I I say the last. There's actually no. I I keep saying like, oh, it's the last story. There's still two more. I keep like, I'm like, God, how many did they fit in here? And there's an ad for a new pocket TV radio, which I found at a garage sale one time. 
and it actually worked, and I don't know why I didn't buy it, because I'm a fucking idiot. Anyway, we can move on to the next story now. Um, things are going to get a little bit more gory from here on out. So for those who consider themselves squeamish, why are you listening to a horror comics podcast? Regardless. Hi, you bloodthirsty cats. Here's an airy tale of the bloodiest LSD trip ever. This will curdle the very blood core of your nerve centers and leave you limp with wild excitement and ghoulish expectation. Tighten your shackles and come with me on a bad trip. Prepare yourself for a bloodbath. So I'll just describe the characters here. It's just typical, like, hippie. What you would think, like, a hippie would look like. But, like, not not a Woodstock hippie. Like, a, a well-to-do hippie. Uh, like, somebody from the Monkees. Um, but not quite the Beatles. Like, somewhere in between, not to that caliber, but, like, trying to, like, take... Okay, the Beatles have this haircut, but how do I make it fucking dumber? Uh, so, we go on, we, we, get, we get our characters here. Come on, Joe. Don't be chicken. It's really an enlightening experience. It releases your spiritual identity and you float on a cloud of light brighter than you've ever seen in your life. All right, Larry, you've convinced me. It'll be a change from the usual Saturday night drinking bout with the gang. I'm sorry. It'll be a change from the usual... (laughs) I... This is one of the worst lettered, punctuated, spelled comics I've ever read. It'll be a change from the usual Saturday night drinking bout with the gang. Ah, that's great, Joe. Here's the address and the pad number. I'll meet you there around 8 o'clock tonight. Stay cool, man. Gosh, I sure hope I won't be sorry. I've heard an awful lot of stories about possible bad after effects of LSD. That night. So we've got these people tripping balls in this room. There's a glass table with a human skull just sitting on the table you've got a guy who's in like a praying position and another guy who's just like at his arm and a woman who's like just they're all you know out of their minds <clears throat> but there's a door that's just wide open leading to the outside and you have these two characters uh shadowy characters peering in that one of them says we're lucky joe the pad isn't too crowded looks like some of the kids are flying high and some of them are well on their trips So we go back to our main two characters we saw earlier. Well, here they are, Joe. Our due passes to spiritual freedom and and the awakening of our consciousness. After taking the sugar cube, Joe sat in a dark corner of the room. It wasn't long before the whole room seemed to be exploding with hot flashes of bright lights. He felt as though a great weight was lifted from his body. His brain was vibrating pulsating against the hard shell-like interior of his skull. He floated weightless, as though in space. His eyes rolled about in their sockets until they suddenly fell upon the miniature skull. It's not miniature, by the way. It's it's human-sized. Miniature skull resting on the coffee table. He began to meditate upon it. An anguished scream rose from his throat as blood gushed from every opening in the skull. This, he knew, was going to be a bad trip. Sheer horror tore at every fiber of his whole being as the bleeding skull began what seemed to be a transition. It was turning into something almost human. The transition continued as the eerie thing, it's misspelled eerie, the thing began to float about the room. The transformation was completed. 
It was the battered, bloody head of a young girl. His sudden, agonizing scream caused the macabre head to disappear in a sudden, bloody explosion. His body shaking with fear and exhaustion, Joe fell to his knees as he felt the weird sensation of sinking, sinking in what seemed to be a sticky red pool of blood. Gasping for air, Joe began to sink in the horrible pasty red muck. A sudden staccato of gunshots and the gruesome vision of a man being shot to pieces bring Joe out of his bloodbath. The aroma of spent gunpowder filled his nostrils as nausea and wild hysteria gripped his very being. His anguished cries for release from this insane half-world of reality went unheeded. He plunged deeper into the edge of darkness. I'm sorry, into the edge of blackness. Ice-cold metal tinged against the flesh of his right hand, and a sudden sharp pain went racing through the nerve centers of his left hand. His agonizing scream resounded through the dark corridors of his drug-soaked brain as his vision focused on his very own hand nailed to the wall. I have to say, the gore here, pretty damn good. You see little... Uh, I mean, it's unrealistic, but little, I mean, the hand looks great, but like the the veins hanging from it, like the bone and stuff, it looks great. There's blood everywhere, veins dangling down. It's um, fantastic, but uh, the veins are just like huge. He spun dizzily. Feeling faint, he fell to the floor with a stench of death in his nostrils. Slowly, life was ebbing from his spasmodic, erring body. Within seconds, the final thick veil of blackness enveloped his whole being as he entered oblivion. Now they spelled within W-H-I-T-H-I-N. So wit, wit hen or within? I don't know. There's just some lettering mistakes here that are interesting. Excuse me. Moments later, complaints from neighbors brought the police to this grotesque, spine-chilling scene. As the police are in there, we see they're entering the doorway, but we see like a severed head hanging we see the hand nailed to the wall we see another body with the head missing a woman's body with the head missing uh, a woman's severed head and a man who's been shot all over his legs and chest and forehead another body that has a hand missing and the police say great caesar's ghost what in the world happened here it's like a human butcher shop the end so children whenever offered lsd remember you will murder everyone around you and yourself if you take LSD. Now, while that's true, uh, I did enjoy this uh, story, actually, just because I was like, where the hell are they going to go with this? Uh, it's very short, obviously. Um, I it, It's obviously like, they're like, we need a drug PSA because this is the thing at the time. I'm sure Hotel California came out uh, like this around the same time as this, and they're like, we've gotta respond because parents are fucking livid so we need to have our own lsd warning um so i guess that's what this is but it's a fun i mean i guess that's fucked up but it's a fun little dose of like gore i mean it's not fucked up we're it's a horror comics podcast it's horror you're expecting gore and shit so uh no this is a fun like interjection of like gore and stuff that isn't in every horror comic uh and then when they give it to you it's like whoa okay yeah it wasn't expecting that so um sorry gosh my sinuses it's louisiana it's it, it's just unbearably hot all the time on top of sinus shit so anyway uh but yeah it's 
I don't know. I thought this was a really fun little read. Um, the idea, I don't, I've never taken LSD before. I, I've done plenty of drugs, um, but you know, I've never taken LSD. Uh, and hold, hold that against me. Why don't you, uh, the drug thing. Uh, but you know what? I've had a, also had a lot of fucking fun in my, in my time, uh, uh, as a musician upon other things and traveling about and you know you're goddamn right i tried the drugs uh that were handed to me that didn't include a needle or or smoking something that looked like a rock or you know lsd so and i had great times and here i am still alive uh anyway i'm not saying you should do all those things i'm just saying i had fun anyway ah, go moving on for that uh I'm probably supposed to say, don't do drugs, kids. But you know what? You're going to do them anyway. In fact, your doctor's going to give half of them to you. So what the fuck am I going to say? This is a fun little story. I enjoyed it. Uh, You know, obviously, knowing what these stories are, you're like, okay, well, he he thinks he's having an acid trip, and he is. uh, But by the end, something terrible is going to be happening. But I actually don't... It's weird because, like, this main person... I guess, is it Joe? Yeah. Who cuts off his own hand and nails it to a wall. He, he's in this final panel with the police stumbling upon it, but he's facing away because, and I'm just basing that off of like he's, his hand is cut off, but he's facing towards a police officer. So away from the reader. Um, so it's just kind of an odd ending. Like there's no one to survive to like sort of learn the lesson. It's more of just like, now remember kids you know that kind of thing so uh but it's a fun dive into history and drug history and uh and uh again the art (laughs) is like flawless pretty much it's so good um and uh i I love the dipping into hippie culture um i recently watched once upon a time in hollywood and they they dive into that a little bit uh, not in great detail but uh you just kind of see some of it and like Again, that's the more like poorer hippie culture, and this is more leaning into what I said before, which would be like I don't know the goddamn monkeys or something. But uh, we can stop about that. We can move on to now. Let me just double check my sources here. Okay, this is the final story of this issue. This might be the longest episode uh, that I've had so far, and that's okay for me at least. Um, it's just. I didn't think that was going to be the case when I first started reading through this book. Uh, but I actually really love this book and I ended up getting uh, over time, a, you know, a couple of more uh, off eBay. Actually, I couldn't find any more. Um, or I couldn't find any like in stores around here. So I went to eBay and I actually ended up getting a, a couple more uh, issues of this horror comic slash horror magazine. Um, I think the, I think they're, this was what I say before July of 76. Um, I think the ones I got are a little bit later issues like after this, but um, I actually really like this a lot. Uh, so I am still on the quest to, to find more uh, physical copies of these horror comics. So I'm going to close this issue out with our next story here. And it's, it's a short one and it, I'm just going to be honest with you. The art is, um, it's very, uh, I don't know, it's hard to say. Like, it, it's it's very good. It's just, I, I feel like they were trying to be very, like, experimental uh, with some of the backgrounds and the way 
like I don't know it's hard to say it's like instead of having like separate panels they just like melded a bunch of panels together uh, and it's a cool effect it really is um, so you just don't get a lot of super descript panels but that's again that's not a that's not a knock against it it's just um, it's you kind of have to read it a couple of times and like pay a little bit of attention to the background to understand kind of like I say to understand what's going on. It's a simple story, but as far as art wise, um, you know, to kind of gather like <laughs> like where they're at in the story, because it really is like confusing. It's kind of a jumbled mess if you just look at it on the surface, but once you look closer and kind of like analyze it, you kind of get what they're doing. Uh, but this is black light monsters. Darkness falls across the land. No, uh, Darkness has always been the breeding place of terror, the unknown, where horrible things lurk, waiting for the chance to grab the unwary. This is the tale of William Henson and Michael Stroller, two men who probe the darkest place of all. We have them in a lab. Lights have strange powers, terrifying possibilities. I think I've come up with something new, and I want you to be in on the finish, Michael. That's why I've asked you here. What are you driving at, Bill? Simply this. I feel like it's too Wallace Shawn, but that's okay. Simply this. I believe that by combining lights of different intensities, I can create blackness such as no one has ever seen. I'm pulling the switch. Keep your eye on that spot where all the beams cross. So I guess he pulls the switch. Again, the art here is strange. Wow, you were right, Bill. Absolute blackness. I just knew it would work. Bill, look out. That black spot, it's its alive. Wh- what? Quick, the switch, Bill. Turn off those lights before it's too late. Whew. That was close, Bill. It didn't reach me. Oh, wait, wrong person. It didn't reach me. I'd like to try turning the lights on again, seeing if it will return. But you can't, Bill. It's too dangerous. That, that thing. Don't worry about it, Michael. I've figured out a way of avoiding that danger. H- how have you done that in... Five seconds. Anyway, soon. I wish you wouldn't, Bill. Somehow I'm I'm afraid. Don't worry. This glass shield will allow the light to pass through, but it will keep whatever it was from reaching us. Look, Michael, it's moving again. That thing is evil, Bill. I'm warning you. Now, see, what they've captured now looks like something from Stranger Things, like the upside-down kind of, like, it's like a squiggly, like, earthworm-looking tentacle kind of thing. It's growing larger and larger, Bill. How much longer do you think the glass will hold? Maybe I better turn the lights off again. Michael slowly... Oh, wait, hold... Wait, which way... Which sequence am I supposed to read these in? It's hard to tell. But in the next instant, we have a crash and they're all thrown around. Michael slowly returned to consciousness, a scream of terror burning into his brain. What happened? Michael! Michael! Help me! Hurry! Hurry, please! And we see Bill reaching out for help, but he's got these black gooey like tentacles wrapped around his arm so i guess michael is running off and he's saying try to hold on till i get to the switch bill bill bill's gone disappeared when the black shape disappeared i i was too late yes henson had been swallowed up in the mall of darkness and michael was alone there must be some answer somewhere the fury of the storm suddenly blew out all the lights in the house I'll, I'll have to create that spot of black again. Maybe then I'll find a clue to help Bill. Lucky those floodlights are on a separate power supply. The answer was horrible and quick. No, 
No, it grew faster than before. I, I can't fight against it. It's too strong. Into the blackness he went, his body twisting in unearthly pain, his shrieks unheeded, every muscle torn with infinite agony. The bottomless pit of pain faded, and then there was the return to consciousness. Bill, I never thought I'd see you again. So they got to you, too. I was hoping you'd escape. This place, where are we? What is it? I've discovered the answer, and it's horrible. Almost too horrible to be believed. All the terrible monstrosities of myth and legend, the Medusa, the demons, were relegated to darkness and forced to stay in darkness. When I created the spot of infinite blackness, I allowed them an outlet to life again. Mortals, come. Uh, did you hear something, Bill? Come. You must see the master of all. It, it can't be. It's the devil. Now we are seeing in all of the chaos and all the wiry, spirally art here, a very, I mean, very well drawn, like devil character with like, you know, the large widow's peak and the horns. He's holding some kind of staff, got skulls all around him and demons behind the two characters. I shall make good use of you. You will be robbed of your will. Me to join our black army. Many are needed to fight the forces of righteousness. What can we do, Michael? We can't let ourselves help these demons, but there's no hope. No hope! Quick, let's make a run for it. And as they make the run for it... After them, bring them back on their knees. They seem to be getting away in the caverns of hell. <laughs> it's a blank wall. A dead end. They'll be upon us any second. If only we had a weapon. Any weapon! Then, for the first time, Michael remembered the flashlight he was carrying. Wait, maybe we do have a weapon. Even though this place looks as light as the normal world, we know it's a place of darkness, where a real light may cause terror. It's a desperate chance. He's grabbing his flashlight. Then, as the closest of their pursuers was almost upon them, Michael turned the flashlight upon it. Look, it works on the creatures. If it will only work on the devil, too. What's going on? I'll show you. Now he's literally shining this light on the demons and the devil, this flashlight, and they're melting and screaming before his hands. The black world shimmered, revolved around them, and disappeared. Then, astonishingly, they were back in the laboratory. How did it happen? What, what brought us back? Your flashlight. It was your flashlight. Who would ever believe that a single thing like a flashlight could save the world from horror? No one, I'm sure. Anyway, now that I've destroyed my floodlights, I'm going to destroy my notes, too, so the monsters will never return. And that is that. That's Terror Tales from July of 1976. Uh, this is a big, big magazine. Like, not size, but, like, thickness. This has got a lot of stories in it. Like I said, I kept being, like... Here we go. It's the last story. And, and But no, it just kept on going. They just added shorter and shorter stories. Uh, but I really, like I said, I enjoyed this magazine a lot. Because um, they didn't try to go over the top. You know, they didn't try to make it like everything is gory because we can. It's just here and there, it gets kind of gory. And um, the art, again, is fantastic all the way throughout. And... 
you know, that's, again, that's par for the course for a lot of the horror comics, but sometimes you don't get that. But these, um, yeah, these artists were working their asses off. So uh, I love it. I've got more of this series. I want to add more to it. Um, I have been adding more as we've been going along. Um, it's just been a, a process. It's been a process, again, to record. So thank you all so much, those of you who are listening to this. Uh, you know, if you've been listening since, you know, if you've listened to this podcast before, I guess I should say thank you for listening to this one and waiting. Um, if you're new to the podcast, thanks for listening. Um, I will be going back to terrorology, but given the fact that like the recording time that I have is so, you know, fucking all over the place, I don't know. Like, I, I'm like, I will get back to that and finish it. I'm just like, should I just try to make it count with like maybe a shorter horror comic? next to go ahead and get an episode because there are stuff there are shorter horror comics that i want to talk about so i might go ahead and just like move bump some up um and then get back to the terrorology thing uh down the road and kind of finish that out as we go uh here and there so but either way thank you all so much for listening i love reading these comics i love digging into the history of it uh and the artists and the you know the writers and publishers and all that stuff so thank you so much for for checking it out and and, and hanging out with me uh taking this ride and uh if you ever want to get in touch with me horror comics podcast at gmail.com uh it's i think horror comics pod on twitter i should know that but like i don't ever like go and look at what my twitter handle is i always just see what the username is so uh hit me up if you want to um there's some stuff from re- from listeners that I've actually gotten, you know, information from and talked to who are writing and drawing comics um, that are awesome. And I want to, like, spend some time on those things before I talk about them here. But I will be doing that because I never expected to have listeners who were, like, you know, I, I, well, at all. But especially just having, like, you know creative type like writers and artists and stuff it's so damn cool so thank you so much for uh sharing with me and uh i look forward to covering that here in the near future um dc comics is actually uh really diving headfirst into some horror stuff coming up here that i might be adding to i say i might be i plan on adding to the show uh with the uh, joe hill hill house comics and there's actually a dc the the walmart uh, exclusive books that are not going to be exclusive anymore, but they're making a new one. It's a 100 page giant and it's called DC's ghosts. Uh, so I don't know if it is supposed to have two original stories in it. So I don't know if it's going to be like DC's like ghosts, like the book, the old school book ghosts, or if it's just going to be like random horror. I don't know. We'll have to see. Uh, but I'm, I'm looking forward to that. That'll be fun. Um, but again, on top of that, I've just got a shitload of, of horror comics that I want to talk about. So I'm going to flip through, find something quick that I can actually throw another episode up and dig into without, you know, 4,500 stories in it. So again, thank you all so much. And uh, you all take care. We're approaching Halloween season and I cannot fucking wait. I love Halloween so much. Obviously I'm doing this. So now as we prepare for that, I'm, I'm going to find like the perfect comic to review, to release for that. So, uh, Again, you all take care. Thanks, and keep on reading those fucking scary-ass, creepy horror comics. 